Hey everyone, this is John. This is Warius. And this is Ryan. And this is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is going to be the retro show for the month of April 2023. And what we do on the retro show is we travel back in time. We time travel back 21 years to the year 2002. And you guys... Oh, God, 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 God damn it, no! <laughs> what a time to be alive, fellas. Uh, the, the sun was shining. Um... I, Actually, I haven't worked out an intro for this yet because now we're entering the dark times. We're in a post-9-11 world, and the the art and culture is going to start reflecting that. Um, what we said before uh, we got to uh, September 11, 2001, is that we were living in the Grand Society. Now we're starting to realize maybe not as grand as we had thought. So Maybe it was grand, and it's just going downhill. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So... We are going to talk about some of the fun stuff. We've got uh, some video games and some music and movies to talk about. We, we talk about like the, the pop culture things. I don't have any current... We, we live a day in the life Yeah, April 2002 is how I like to think of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't actually have any historical events prepped this time around. Did you have anything? I actually had a couple. No. Oh. A few things. One, you want to, you want to do the sad thing first or the fun stuff Let's first? do the sad thing first. So we've got a fun thing leading into just, video just, games. Yeah. So April 25th, uh, Lisa Lefty Lopez, who was one of the trio of TLC, the R&B group from the 90s with hits like Waterfall, etc. Uh, Beyonce's band. No, this is not, not Beyonce's band. <laughs> um, but that she... That was Destiny's Child. Oh. She was involved in a car accident in which she lost her life. Hmm. Um, there were three other passengers on board. They all survived. Sadly, it was just her. Um, she hit her head and she died as a result of the trauma. Uh, very, very sad to bring that one up. Again, she's very, very young. I don't mm. think it's... It was just... I remember being a surreal moment to read the news scroll and it was like, Lisa Left Eye Lopez is dead. And you're like, what? Real? What? I don't yeah. know. And maybe yeah. it is the fact that six months prior, of course, 9-11 had occurred and it seems like every other month a plane was crashing for another fucking reason. Yeah, the hits just kept coming. Uh, yeah, it, it, this, was a, this was a mass casualty period of American history. Mm. Um, so her death just seemed to be the most uh, out of... Uh, out of nowhere... Yep. I avoided saying left field because it felt uh, in poor taste with her sure. name. Left we could do other things in poor taste. Like, like, yeah. uh, one thing we know about her is she didn't want no scrubs. It's true. She did not want any scrubs. Creep, creep. I just remember them when they when they received their Grammy Awards and they were up there and they were like being asked, like, oh, is you're living the dream right now? And they're like, we're broke. We don't have any money. Hmm. Like, the studio took all the money, and our management took all the money. We don't have any money. We're broke. Thanks for the statues. We've got these awards, but this is all we have. As they're <laughs> sitting there, like, art, like with multiple Grammys in each arm. We're going to have to hawk these. You know, I do feel bad for TLC. They were absolutely one of those uh, victims of uh, greedy management. Hmm. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Two other uh, <laughs> events that occurred that I think were noteworthy but not are not tragic by any means. Tiger Woods wins the Masters Tournament. Um, this He won the previous year as well. We didn't bring it up, I don't recall. But he won uh, April 14th, uh, one of the winningest golfers in sports history. I don't yep. know. I mean, I don't think he has the record for most. Um, I think it maybe is like is it Jack Nicholas or Arnold Palmer or somebody like that. Probably has more of the majors wins than he does. But he is probably, I mean, aside from like fucking Michael Jordan... I don't know. Tiger Woods is probably the greatest athlete of this era of our generation. Yeah, he became like ubiquitous, ubiquitous with the sport. Yeah, or maybe, maybe like um, Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. No one dominates sure. her sport quite like she did too. Um, but the other event that occurred, uh, as it, as it does every year, the 2002 NFL Draft, 
Um, this was an expansion season that saw the introduction of the Houston Texans. They drafted David Carr, uh, number one overall, who was a serviceable QB. They should have drafted his brother, Derek Carr, who at the time probably was like 12, so that's why they didn't. But Derek Carr... Um, should have been bold and done it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Derek Carr has, has actually been a fantastic quarterback in the NFL. Um, not really regarded that highly, um, which I think is kind of sad because he really, really is talented. Um, he's had like 10 seasons, but that's not... Uh, but David Carr, was, he, he's a guy. He's just a quarterback. Probably not worth an number one overall pick, but they got solid, uh, a solid quarterback for it. Also in this draft was... Um, you guys may not know football well enough to know these names, but these are all fucking huge, huge names, but... Julius Peppers, Dwight Free, uh, Bryant McKinney, Ed Reed. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. For the Ravens, right? Yeah. Um, Albert Hainsworth, Clinton Portis. Um, a lot of really talented players came from this draft. Mm. Um, so that occurred. I mean, that's, so that's, that's it. That's your, you know, those are the topical events of the time. Very cool. Oh, and the DC sniper didn't kill anybody. This was like his one quiet month. Mm. So if you're wondering if anyone wanted an update on what the DC sniper has been doing. This is a... a took, took a month off. Yeah. Yeah. From a, murder. At this point, I guess they're cruising through the Southwest somewhere. Looking for more people to murder. Precisely. Well, let's talk about uh, some video games. We always seem to manage to land on the DC Sniper before we transition to video games. We're going to until October, man. <laughs> you know you know what? Uh, you know, and There's a game where you murder people. It's called Resident Evil. You're not really murdering people. You're killing zombies. Um, but... There's some people in there you murder, isn't there? Are they all zombies? There, there are people that die in that game, but you're not the one who's like going out. You can accidentally humans. allow yourself to die. You can uh, accidentally in the Resident Evil remake, there are characters you can allow to die. If you're playing as Jill, you can allow Barry to die. Yeah. If you're playing as Chris, you can allow Rebecca to die. And in either one, either scenario, you can choose to not save the other person. So Chris can allow Jill to die by not saving her. And What's the benefit of that? You see, there's different. One extra sandwich. Yeah. They packed. <laughs> a sandwich for everybody and if Barry dies you get Barry's sandwich it's, it's actually pretty cool it's a nice little twist ending so this, uh, this Resident Evil game fuck. is of course a uh, a remake of the original Resident Evil which came out on the PS2 I think it was in 97 or 98 so not all that long after it gets this huge overhaul and the first thing that jumps out is like how much they improved the graphics it does maintain the older style of having like these pre-rendered uh, backgrounds and your characters kind of moving through these uh, static environments but they're so well designed visually that it looks like you're actually moving through like a, a real 3D space and maybe they did like fully render them in 3D but the point is you don't have as much of like a dynamic camera as you would of course Resident Evil 4 or even Resident Evil 0 has some more dynamic camera stuff going on and certainly Resident Evil Code Veronica which predates this game by a couple years had some more like dynamic moving camera stuff as you're walking around but in this year you're definitely like here here's your static shot of the environment you're in and when you sort of cross a boundary um, it will cut to a different position on the uh, on the screen to you know give you a different angle on the room when they do this sort of thing to uh, not only let them have a higher graphic fidelity as they were able to in the PS1 but also to give you these these angles when they want to uh, sort of uh, invoke this sense of tension. You know, you're you're walking down a hallway, but they're going to give you a very specific angle. So maybe what is in front of you, or like what's going to be around the corner, is going to be obstructed from view. But anyway, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. This game is really fucking good. I don't know if you guys were able to pick that up from what I was saying. Uh, of course, developed and published by Capcom. It was directed, or sorry, um, produced by Hiroyuki Ko 
Kobayashi. Um, and actually, oh yeah, I do have the director here, Shinji Mikami, which isn't a name that might sound familiar to video game enthusiasts, especially in Capcom circles. He directed the original Resident Evil on the PS1. He did this game. I think he'll also go on to direct Resident Evil 4. And then he will go over to work at Clover Studios, which will become Platinum. Sticks around with Platinum for a little while, and then he goes and founds his own studio. I don't remember the name of it. It is of no consequence. So, really important guy. Did some really great stuff. He was at Capcom and Platinum. But since about 2014, I don't think he's released a game to his credit. Um, but this, uh, this remake, fellas... like. I, I had um, some experience with Resident Evil to this point, mostly Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil Code Veronica. I played both of those on the Dreamcast. But they end, they'll end up porting every single uh, Resident Evil game. Multiple times. <laughs> well, to the GameCube specifically. Yeah. But yeah, so, and this remake, this remake for the GameCube that we're talking about is available on the Switch. You can go download it. They often run sales. You can get it for 10 bucks. Totally worth it. Really awesome game. Um, yeah, it's this Resident Evil Zero and Resident Evil became part of the Resident Evil Origins collection, which, yeah, May 2019, it came mm-hmm. out. So you can get the first, essentially, two installments. Wait, which game? Resident Evil Zero, did that come after two? I feel like that came after two. So the, the order of release, of course, you get the original Resident Evil, then two, Nemesis, Code Veronica, then the remake. Zero is going to come after this remake. Oh, that's right. That'll be in November of 2000, or like late. 2002, yeah. I think is when that comes out. Yeah, Story-wise, they do move chronologically in the order of the Resident Evil's, right? Or Yeah, with Resident Evil 0 being titled 0 because it's sort of a parallel events involving the character he mentioned, Rebecca Chambers. So in the original Resident Evil, you're playing as a couple of characters from the Star's Alpha Team, like the elite militarized policed squadron of Raccoon City. We won't of get into the politics of that. Yeah. This podunk bullshit. <laughs> people like running around with like magnums and machine guns. Anyway, but they they go to investigate something that happened to Bravo Team out in the mountains. In Resident Evil Zero, you get to find out what happened to Bravo Team. Wow. Something that they do in this remake of Resident Evil is you do get a little bit more information about Bravo Team and some of that will tie into stuff that happens in Resident Evil Zero. You'll get like um, some, some stuff like, like side characters. And you, in the original version of Resident Evil, you bump into a couple of members from Bravo Team, but you get a little bit more with them in this remake. Uh, specifically characters like Enrico, who I don't remember if he was... Yeah, he was in the original. Well, there was an Easter egg in Resident Evil 2 where you could run into Brad Vickers underneath mm-hmm. this this one staircase, or this, this like thing beneath the police station yeah ju- just before you get to the police station there's an alternate route you can take i think if you if you don't fire a weapon or something like that there's some weird rule you have to do like you have to not shoot anything um but make it to that spot in his zombie form you'll find vickers like shambling around underneath there mm-hmm. it's a pretty cool little yep note but as far as the chronology zero than the original resident evil 2 and nemesis kind of take place uh within the same time frame uh, there's slightly askew. I think the Nemesis takes place slightly after, but it's like within the same like day cycle because it's just before Raccoon City. Well, two City. ends with the big explosion, of it, right? Of so, the city and any, at any rate, there is like a definitive time when all that stops, right? And and so does uh, three. Three ends with because Jill's just coming back. In, as I recall, Jill's just coming back into town, and Umbrella is now sending the Nemesis after her to try mm-hmm. to kill her. Yeah, they're they're trying to get, eliminate all of the stars, specifically yeah. her, because there's not, not very many left at that point. 
again, this this giant medical conglomerate is worried about the happenings of like Middle America mm. SWAT unit. <laughs> and then when uh, when Resident Evil Two happens, that's when Claire Redfield, Chris from the Resident Evil original game, uh, his her, his sister Claire comes into town looking for him because you'd heard about something going down. Uh, Chris has already left town, and Code Veronica picks up with Claire, still looking for him, ends up getting uh, uh, abducted in, in an umbrella facility that she followed Chris to, and put on this prison island, and then Chris ends up going there looking for her. Then they go to Antarctica. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Code uh, Veronica right. fucking great game. But yeah. so is this Resident Evil remake. Yeah, but Code Veronica has Steve, right? does have Steve. I love to hate that guy. He sucks so hard. I love Steve so much. Um, they, in this remake, not only did they do a big graphics overhaul, they remixed puzzles, changed the way, uh, like the order that you, you find things so you're not moving through the mansion the same way as you did in the original version. Um, they also added entire new areas. Uh, the character, uh, Lisa Trevor... The, the, the girl who's kind of like uh, been all uh, mutated by the virus and is like walking around like in the big like handcuff things will kind of chase you around is totally unkillable in the game um, will follow you around in certain areas and she's a totally added character like you get more of like uh, geography where she is sort of living within like the mansion premises there are uh n- I was about to say new boss fights. It's not really new boss fights, but there are like new like boss encounters. You can try to fight them, but most like there's not a whole lot of boss fights within the actual game. There are only like two or three like actual required you have to fight this thing. Otherwise, you are able to just avoid them entirely or like get into the room, get the thing you need and just fucking bail and leave Richard to die in his own. Um Wes, you're giving me this look. There's there's a point in the game where you encounter this guy, Richard, who was on Bravo Team. He's been bitten by a giant snake. You get him some medicine. Uh, and then you go... You need to go into the room where the giant snake is to get an item. You go in there. You grab the item. And then Richard will come into the room if you got him the serum in time. He doesn't die. He'll come in there and he'll help you. And he'll shoot the thing. And you can actually, like, if you're running around avoiding damage long enough, he'll eventually kill it for you. So you can save some ammo that way. The most time-efficient thing is just to leave him to die. <laughs> And as soon as you leave the room, um, you'll just hear him scream. Like, oh, yep, he's dead. (laughs) He'll die anyway. There's no way Richard lives through this. He's not one of the savable characters. Mm -hmm. Oh, so he ends up dying anyways? Mm -hmm. You know, if you got saved him in time? Right, right. There there is no saving Richard. Even if you brought him out in the woods and be like, okay, you're free. Run. It's like everything's gonna blow up anyways. Yep. It's like it's <laughs> what do you do? Yell out like a dog, I don't want you anymore. Go. Get out. You're not getting a ride with Brad. I'm going with Brad. <laughs> but there are like I was saying, like multiple ways for this game to end with like characters you can save, characters you can leave behind that'll also affect the way like the final boss fights will play out. Um when you start up the game for the first time, you pretty much have two difficulties that you're picking from, like easy and difficult. And as soon as you clear it the first time, then you're able to like replay 
uh, if you want to like go for time achievements or try just to, to maximize your efficiency, which is really fun to do in these games, uh, then you're able to select from a very easy, easy, normal, and hard. And what that will do is it will change up how much damage you're taking and how much uh, damage enemies can take. But it will also uh, give you a, a more limited uh, cache of ammunition to work with. You'll find less bullets throughout the game the harder the difficulty is. So it becomes this game of like making the, the most efficient route that you can uh, go through through this, uh, this tangled web of a mansion. Um, and also you'll have to figure out which zombies are the ones you want to kill or which ones are the ones you can just avoid. And to, to, to go along with that, there's also a new feature of this game where if you kill a zombie, oh, of course, you can just pump it full of ammo. If you're lucky, you'll get like a critical headshot. Easy to do with a shotgun, but it's riskier because you have to like let them be right on top of you and aim upwards so you can hit them in the head. You don't have free aiming uh, in this game. Um, where you just you point the gun and, and you shoot and hope for the best. If you don't decapitate the zombies, after a certain amount of steps or amount of times you've been through the room, it will reanimate as a crimson head, which, you know, it'll be like a little bit more hunched over, get sharp talons and run at you as opposed to just sort of sombling over and trying to bite you. Oh, what a dick. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's real mean. Uh, so uh, there are ways you can... Uh, incinerate the body. There are a couple of items you can carry around with you, which really chokes up your inventory space. But if you know you're going to need to go through a room a couple of times and you don't get the decapitation, like, okay, well, I, I have to burn this body, otherwise I'm going to have to deal with this thing when it reanimates its corpse. So a lot of the game is all about finding your maximum efficient route to picking up only the things you need which is hard for me because I obsessively try to pick up every herb even though I definitely don't need every one of them. Um, and figuring out like which are the ones that you can kill, which are the ones maybe you can save for later, which are the ones that you really want to try to decapitate because if you choke up your inventory, you're going to be spending a lot of time darting back and forth between item boxes, which there aren't very many in this mansion. There's only a couple. Um, pretty well placed. I'm always really impressed by like the architecture of this mansion, how they give you... Uh, this this maze to work through, but there's always a couple of routes. So if something goes really wrong, if you end up not decapitating decapitating a zombie and it's going to reanimate, there's always a way you can loop around, which will cost you some time if you're interested in that sort of thing. I'm not sure if there are actual in-game like achievements or anything to do things like maximum time, but they do like unlock a lot of cool rewards if we, you know you play through the different difficulty modes and. Uh, the different and are able to like, get through within a certain amount of time. You'll unlock like costumes. I think there's a couple of unlockable weapons that you can get, like an uh, infinite handgun and that sort of thing. Uh, maybe a rocket launcher. Uh, there are, and like they call it real survival mode. When you beat the game on normal mode, you'll unlock real survival. And in real survival, it's basically uh, you, you don't have an auto aim. Um, so just for context, when you enter a, a room or a hallway, if there's a zombie around, um, and you hit the aim button, it will auto-target. It will like, whip you around to where the zombie is. So it's a way to like safely move around corners so you can kind of 
have an idea of what's coming. There's also a way to tell if a zombie is actually dead. If you know you you down a zombie and it lays down on the ground, uh, sometimes they'll like there'll, there'll be blood pooling up if it's actually dead. But if you don't see the blood pooling up, you kind of turn away and hit your aim button again. If it's still alive, it'll zip back and point your gun at the the zombie on the floor again. Um, but in real survival, you don't get that. You have to like circle your character around. Like you have to move the gun around while you're aiming. Um, you can't. You can't shoot while you walk. That's not a thing in this game. You gotta shoot while you're stationary. Um, and in real survival, it's one hit, you're dead because you know you get bit by a zombie, you're infected. And the item boxes aren't connected. So if you drop something in one item box, if you want to get that thing out again, you gotta go back to that item box. There's no magical Ooh. warping between. Yeah, yeah. It's it's rough. That's that. Yeah. This game is so good. Yep. Have you have you either guys ever played this this remake? Nope. Oh, it's on your Switch. I think I oh, I have not played the remake. I mean, I played the original right a ton. I mean, I love this series so much, but no, I have not played the remake. It'd be fun well, to go back and visit. Played four and whatever one we played on the PS3. I think that was five. We played a little bit of five and co-op. Yeah, the one where you're Chris and that other girl. Right. Yeah. And like you gotta stay out of the sun or something. Did we so, have to stay out of the sun? I don't remember exactly. It wasn't very good. No, it wasn't a good one. We better weird scorpion thing. Better mansion, Spencer's mansion, or Luigi's mansion? Oh, not, that's not the game. The mansion itself. I the design the layout. He's, I like. He, he, was, he was raving about the blueprints. He was raving about it. You were raving about its architecture. I like the Spencer mansion better. Because it is more of like this lateral puzzle solving, where is as in Luigi's Mansion, it's much more about like, okay, here's a hallway and here's the few rooms in this hallway. This time you have access to this one. You'll come back later, then you'll have access to the other ones. Where in Resident Evil, the way the mansion is laid out, like it's, it architecturally makes no sense. Like, these are not functional spaces that you're in. There's a massive dining room and then a hallway that just snakes around the entire place. Why would they build a hallway like that? It's not practical. Um, but like that, that's part of the fun of it. it they, they actually address it and I think Resident Evil 2. They, they, as Claire and Leanna are walking around, I was like, why would a police station be laid out like this? And they drop a line or something like that. Yeah. But the, the part of the fun of it is um, okay, now I have this key what rooms can I access now and what am I going to find in there to access more areas? And they, um, oh, some that they add, they added uh, uh, just in terms of puzzles and the original Resident Evil, it was a lot of, okay, find the keys that get you into this room, find another key that gets you into this room. Uh, in this one, they have a couple of other puzzles that are like, okay, you you found the key to get into this room, but now you got to find four other things in order to move on to the next point of the game. So it adds a bit more of like that survival inventory management into it, and you know, gives you um, a bit more of a, a puzzle to solve, rather than just like, okay, do I have the right key to enter this room? Okay, good, let's go. So good. This game is really good. I played through uh, just the other day, I played through it as Jill, I start up a Chris run through, but I didn't finish it. Oh, you pick which one you want to play as. Right, right. So when you when you start, you pick, of course, uh, Chris or Jill. Jill is not as sturdy. She'll have lower HP, but she has two extra inventory spots. She'll have eight inventory spots as opposed to Chris's six. Hmm. So she is 
it's, it's much easier to manage uh, what you're taking with you on any particular route with her. Um, they there there are like in addition to like being just sturdier as Chris, there are some other advantages. Like he always has a lighter with him, whereas Jill has lockpicks. So if there's there are a couple of puzzles that require you to you know uh, light a fire or a candle in a room that will illuminate things and allow you to see, Chris will always have that with him. But conversely, oh, and he'll um, in order to uh, burn a zombie corpse, you need your your kerosene container. It's like a little kerosene flask, and you need a lighter so you can ignite it. He'll always have the lighter with him, so he's not uh, having to carry both things at all times. Um, the, the inverse of that is Jill would have to carry both the lighter and the, the kerosene flask, but she has lockpicks, which gives her access to uh, certain doors faster. Whereas Chris, you'll have to find extra little disposable keys, or they're only good one time for one door. So you have to pick, like, okay, which door do I open before I'm able to find another one? you got to carry those with you. But, you know, once, once you know... The route. One of the funnest things about these games is replaying and trying to maximize your efficiency. Once you know the route, it's not too big a deal that you only have the six inventory spots. But it's definitely easier to play as Jill because you're not so worried. You just kind of pick stuff up. You're not so worried about having too many things. Any other uh, any other GameCube games we need to address here? Not for the GameCube. There are some other games that came out, but yeah. Let me, let me look at my list really quick. Okay, so the original Burnout came out on GameCube in April of 2002. Uh, I th- don't think Burnout 2 is out on other systems at this point, but Burnout definitely already came out on PS2. A uh, racing game, you're showing like real-time damage to your car, and you're like getting points for doing damage and stuff. Uh, kind of a, a, a combat racer, I suppose, in that sense. But we'll talk more about that series when we talk about it's Burnout It's the halfway 2. point between Mario card and F-Zero. <laughs> it is an arcade racer where you damage your other racers. But we'll talk about uh, that game a little bit more when we talk about Burnout 2. It's a better sort of version of that uh, series, which, you know, makes sense. It came out afterwards. Uh, and then also the Spider-Man game came out on GameCube and PS2. And oh, Ryan, you, you yeah. have something about that. That was what I was going to mention. Um, yeah, I mean, this game it sold crazy well. It sold 6 million units, which is wild. real good. Yeah, uh, I personally hated this game, though, honestly. Uh, I shouldn't say hate it. It's really boring. It's not like the game is offensively bad. It's just really, like, I don't know, uninspired. But it's Spider-Man. It's a Spider-Man game that's based off of the movie that hasn't come out yet. And, and oh. con- contemporaneously, it has not come out yet, but will, I believe, in May. Um, and, you know, I love the movie. It's a great movie. Um, but this game, it just, it's... You also have to remember, that for the PS1, they made a Spider-Man game. And that game is like fucking flawless. It is so much fun. You are you are doing the web slinging stuff. You're getting in all these crazy, really fun fights. It's just a really kinetic, frantic game. But you feel like Spider Man. And I remember this game was so much more about just like clunky combat and the worlds look. T- it's 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 a PS2 compared to a PS1. The graphics are much better. There's more detail. There's more pixels. But it certainly doesn't look better. It doesn't feel better. Um, the only positive thing about it is actually that they got some of the actors to do the voice acting work in the game, so the cast from the film are part of the the game. I know, and it's it's not bad. Again, I shouldn't say I'm not trying to drag this game too hard. It's not like it's really bad or anything, 
But given that they've already shown how to make a really fucking good Spider-Man game, I don't know why they felt the need to switch switch models, switch to this other style. It just doesn't really work that well. But, you know, again, huge, huge hit, but probably a lot of these sales are just that people were feeling Spider-Mania at the time. It's true. I mean, did you, did you play it by any chance? Or you no, 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 not this version of the game. Okay. Yeah, at that point, I was still uh, pretty cynical about movie adaptations for video games. They were hardly ever good. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, oh, hey, two other games. Yeah, let's, let's move through yours. Uh, actually, I wrote this as a GameCube game. I don't know if it came out same time, but um, 2002 FIFA World Cup. I think it might have. Another big seller. I mean, it doesn't sell very well here, but it sold three and a half million copies, which is crazy. That's a, that's a yeah, lot people, of units to be selling. People around the world like soccer. It yeah, it, it's a big deal to them and not so much to us. Uh, FIFA still remains like one of the best selling. If you look at like bet, like top sales in Europe, and you will always see FIFA as like a top two or three game. Yeah, I see it a lot on sale. Yeah, here, no, yeah. One, no one plays it here. Every week it's on sale. Mm. Like, it's just... People come in and buying wines off sale. Just wait till next week. Probably go on sale for twenty bucks. Like it's, it's like I, I can't in good conscience sell you this game at full price. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I imagine if you were in Europe, well, you know, if you were here, you would buy all those copies and go to Europe and sell them for sixty a piece. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what is what are the resellers doing? Come on, there's your there's your <laughs> not moving PS fives. That's for sure. Yeah, I have so many PS fives right now. Uh, there there are a few like articles going around. Always like on gossip websites about how now. PS5 scalpers aren't able to move their units because PS5 is just around now, which yeah. is great. Um, but yeah, they're they're not able to sell the things for the the double price that they wanted to. They're actually having to like sell below MSRP in order to move them. Which good. That's called comeuppance. Yeah, they almost killed me the other day. Why? Uh, I had six PS5s on a shelf, but it was a high shelf, so I had to get on a ladder. And then as I was pulling one of them, because they're not from like, the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I was pulling one of them off the shelf, the shelves are like, it's odd to explain, explain. it's just these brackets of the shelves kind of like hook into it four points. Explain it. Explain it. Yeah, shut up. Words are tough. And, uh. You're doing great. The the back, the back right one and the front left one came off. Oh no. And so it tilted towards me. And so I'm sitting there holding a shelf with a PS5, holding a PS5 on my chest while holding the shelf, let it fall up on a ladder, um, and somehow I still was able to get my walk-in calls like help. You're <laughs> <laughs> just like hanging there. Somebody help. Just like please, I'm about to die. They shut to the scene. Like oh, PS fives are in danger. He's like I'm about to drop like three grand worth of product, like hey, six they, feet down. Like this is a bad. <laughs> they should have had it in a better, safer position. I put them there. Oh shit! That's all the space I had. Yeah. God, no one but still, they almost got me. <laughs> like, when you started that story, I thought you meant like the scalpers almost got you. Oh no, no, the PS5s themselves were mm. trying to kill me. Oh right, a guy got from the context of the story. That's yeah. where you were going. But I thought like yeah. they're going to tell a story about like some group of scalpers that came into Target with like pitchforks and. No, that has them. happened. Oh, good. That had, not with pitchforks. Well, they went to the garden department first. Just, just the dumbest crap. Like the we had people run into certain targets where they found out where the lock boxes for like the iPhones. Okay. And they would just run in with bolt cutters, run straight to the back room, break it open, grab stuff, and run out. Like, well, that's funny. <laughs> like, it's holy just, shit! Really, guys? So we had to like move the cage into another locker room and everything. It was. 
You had, to, you had to put it in a room with a key locked, and the key is in the kitchen. You had to have two crests to get into the kitchen, which yeah. are often the the, and the then terrace. Zombies. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go to I'd go to Target more often if it was a Resident Evil puzzle. <laughs> I really don't get the logic of the scalpers that they would be like holding back stock of mm. these PS fives. I think that if you were to acquire one at MSRP price, shouldn't your objective be to like flip it within I don't know a month, a couple of weeks, right? And and maybe try to sell it really quickly and not hoard ten of them. And the idea that because like the scalpers, if they were being reasonable, would know that this this wouldn't last forever. Right. And, and that when the production catches up with the consumer, all of these are going to go back to, like, they're just and if they're, you could buy it at Target for. If they're sitting on a stock for more than a few days, maybe stop buying them yourself. Because I, I assume that was what was, was happening, is they were just continuing to, continuing to buy the things, even though they had a stockpile of them. So... Yeah, yeah they create this artificial scarcity. That's fine, but you have to sell them at some point. Right, right. I, I, I don't know that uh, maybe they, they had stopped trying to sell them or if they were just trying to hoard them. I think that maybe they just ended up with a hoard possibly by mistake because they they didn't realize, like, hey, these aren't moving. Maybe we should stop buying. Yeah. But I mean, you get what's coming to you on that one because like, the, the excuse was always, you know, oh, we're providing people a service. We're getting these to places where people wouldn't normally be able to get this stuff. Like, well, they can't get it because of you. You're right. doing it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't for half a second listen to any of them tell, right. tell you that they're doing something altruistically. These, these fucking sob stories about, yeah. oh, no, we can't move the stuff that we prevented somebody else from getting. Anyway. I got, um, I got one more game. Yeah, do it. Uh, Soldier of Fortune 2 Double Helix for PC. Have you guys heard of this game? Yes. That's a mouthful. Uh, I played this game back in the day, and I loved it. It was really, really fun. Um, it is a very tactical first-person shooter built around contemporary like warfare stuff. So the guns are real, and you're doing this sort of spy narrative. Um, I didn't, pl- I didn't boot it up or replay it a- again for this, but I watched some gameplay of it just to kind of refresh my memory. And it all, it all came back to me in very nostalgic waves. I remember this game; it was a lot of fun. Is it available? Uh, Anyone oh, at this point? Sure, I'm sure it's on Steam. You can probably get it for a couple bucks on Steam. This should not be an expensive game. Um, but yeah, it's made by Raven Software. Uh, if you looked up their credits, basically for the past 15 years, all they've done is make Call of Duty games. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is very, very fitting for a Call of Duty-style game. Um, and yeah, yeah, honestly, this game, it's its really cool. It, its um, it, While it doesn't have the same kind of grandeur of like a Metal Gear narrative, it sort of fits that aesthetic a bit more, um, and it's a bit more down-to-earth. I think the thing that was supposed to make this different from your other first-person shooters of the eras... Again, we just talked about Serious Sam a few months ago, which is a great game, but it's also just absolutely wild and bonkers. Weird. And this is, again, supposed to be more straightforward, and um, it has a lot of the ragdoll physics. You can literally shoot limbs off of people. Um, it, It was trying to be a very accurate portrayal of what, you know, assault rifles do to bodies. Um, so yeah, you you can really mangle some uh, some corpses in this game, and I think that there's kind of a visceral selling point to that. But it's also very much like a, not like in a I don't know I'm trying to think of a good comparison like like how how Duke Nukem would portray violence mm. or Doom or any of those other classic shooters. They would uh, not have such kind of realism and grit in the way that they dispose of a body. So. At any rate, it, it is a, it is a very 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 good game. Um, I, I would absolutely recommend it. I liked it a lot back in the day. Um, 
Uh, I, I, it's a again probably something more in the vein of a Counter Strike. Yeah. So, good stuff. I just um, for a little bit of context, the Resident Evil remake um, sold about 1.3 million on the GameCube. Not bad for a little GameCube game. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah GameCube. Right. Um, you know, I I would expect its best selling stuff to kind of not not pair up to something like a PlayStation, but. Mm. You know, but um, that's just how it is. You, you you can get the original version on Amazon if you want for like fifty bucks, or you can just download your Switch for ten because it goes on sale pretty often. Like I was saying, yeah. uh, there is a GBA game worth bringing up. Pretty slow month for the GBO the GBA though, compared to a lot of the other months that we've talked about. This one, just Breath of Fire Two, which is a game that originally released on the Super Nintendo way back uh, in. 1994 in Japan, 1995 in North America. Um, this is a game, I think we may have talked about this one real briefly back on a Super Nintendo show way back in the day. It is an RPG from Capcom, turn-taking. Breath of Fire is a series of games that will continue. I don't think that they have too much connection to each other. It's kind of a Final Fantasy situation where they just kind of start over the new story, new characters. So you don't really miss out on much by just skipping to the second one. Um, as far as like the quality of these Breath of Fire games, specifically Breath of Fire 2, it's fine, but it's not even like in the top 10 of JRPGs that released on the Super Nintendo. It probably wouldn't be in the top 10 JRPGs released on the GBA. Uh, Turn-taking battles random battles. You do get a little indicator light uh, when you're about to go into a random battle. Uh, I don't remember how the character classes compared to the original, but you do have like, you know, your your warrior character who also changes into a dragon. It's like an overdrive skill. Um, there's a sort of ranger character that you're teamed up with like this dog person. Uh, you get like a tanky horse dude. There's a frog who ends up joining your team who's kind of like this, this skillful swordsman and not really... Uh, uh, super tanky or anything. Uh, your your speedster sort of thief character is a tiger girl. So you know you get um, a pretty wide cast of like different character designs. It definitely leans much more into the uh, whimsical fantasy aesthetic, whereas the first one was like more like uh, high fantasy. I think the the weirdest character designs there were like people with wings, which are also in this game, but they're not like the most outlandish thing that you'll run into. Um. Yeah, you can uh, actually play this game on the Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo little widget on your uh, Switch. So you don't need to pay anything to play this game as long as you got that subscription. Reviewed decently well, like a lot of seven and a half, so maybe as high as tens in certain places. You know, it's it's a fine little RPG, but nothing to write home about. Probably a really good one to play on Switch because you can uh, save anywhere and just kind of go into sleep mode and not have to devote too much attention to it. As, as far as I remember, kind of grindy. So you got to spend a bit of time leveling up. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of like back and forth that I distinctly remember. There's a lot of like, okay, you got to this new town, now you got to go back to the original one. Okay, now you got to, now you went to this new town again. But you got to go back to your original one. So a lot of back and forth sort of padding out the game time. There's right. another scenario where Capcom's concept art is gorgeous. Mm. All yeah. of the artwork that they have for this makes this game look 
fucking incredible. Yeah. And then you see the pictures and you're like, oh, okay, so it's a JRPG. Right, right. It doesn't uh, have a very distinct look when you're actually in the yeah. gameplay. Like your your top down view of like the overworld and your talent and stuff. I mean, I know you, you can't see it, and the listener can't see this, of course, but there's this really cool, like, it looks like it would be a comic book cover for the X-Men, you know, where it's, like, your two main dudes, and then you got the frog guy you're talking about, the big pangolin-looking... Oh, and they're all, like, a group together? Dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. or, yep. or, you know, one's, like, six feet tall, the other's, like, 12 feet tall, the monkey lady and the plant girl with the whip and the dog. There's a dog, a fat dog. Yeah, he's yeah, he's your buddy. <laughs> he, he's, like, your, your starting party member. This is very, very cool. I think I get what you're saying. We were talking about this being, like, a high fantasy kind of world and not so much, like, you know... Not so much like medieval fantasy. Yeah. But yeah, oh, and there, there are certain like parts of the game where your party is bespoke. Like you have to use these characters. It's not until a little ways into the game that you're actually able to freely move characters around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Resident Evil game of the month. I am uh, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, yeah, you sure. have to on that one. Yes. Yeah, Resident Evil. Resident Evil game of the month. Classic game. It's so much fun. And as far as where it goes in our rankings, and as we uh, pull this up real quick, um, so far our rankings, I, I think this one definitely goes. Strap a booster rocket onto that bad boy and put it right at the top. At least in the top ten. Here's our top ten. I Actually, let's do top five right now. Smash Brothers Melee, Rogue Squadron 2, Pikmin, Luigi's Mansion, SSX. It's two. I think this is two. That's Any two. objections? No. Cool. So, uh, right now, our, our top-to-bottom GameCube rankings. We've got 17 games in the rankings now. Smash, Resident Evil, Rogue Squadron, Pikmin, Luigi's Mansion, SSX, Sonic Advance 2, Gauntlet, NBA Street, Super Monkey Ball, Wave Race, Sega Soccer Slam, Simpsons Road Rage, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, Pac-Man World 2, Cell Damage, 007, Agent Under Fire, rounding out the bottom of the list, and I think deservedly so. Are you going to include, like, Spider-Man? Oh, yeah, we should put Spider-Man in there. Um, cause Again, I don't want to say it's bad. It's just really boring compared to how good the last installment that they made was. So, what do you think? Do are we are we number ten is Super Monkey Ball? Are we out of the top ten with Spider Man? I think so. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let, let's skip to. Also, there's kind of some brand loyalty to that too. I feel like you know, it's it's like this is this is just a commercial thing that they put on every console they could find. I'm sure at the time. How about uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater Three? Are we putting it above or below Tony Hawk? I bet it below, yeah. Okay. Um, Pac-Man World 2? That feels on par or maybe better. Okay. Maybe I put it there. Again, it's, it's a competent game. It's a boring game. Which, at some point, do we just stop counting and worrying about the ranking past 10? Maybe we should just... It's like when we have a top 10, but then the others would be like, yeah, it's... I think you're right. I think it's like when I go back and listen to our old Pokemon rankings that we used to do like five years ago or whatever, if you go back and listen to them. The fun part is the bottom three or four, mm. and then the top three or four, and the rest is just the sort like, of who cares is in the middle somewhere. Like, middle. You know. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I've got, well, I'm, I'm going to keep it going. We'll, we'll figure out a place for because burnout's not going to go like very high or very low. I don't think either, but we'll find a spot for burnout somewhere. But we'll do that another time, and we'll just kind of like be in the mix. Yeah, like top five and bottom five; those are the ones we should care about. Anything in the middle, who gives a fuck? Although the longer the list gets, I think like by the time we get toward the end of the GameCube life cycle, like the top 20, 25 will be like pretty significant games, and it'll be fun to talk about the garbage too. Yeah. Okay. Should All we start right. with uh, music like we usually do? Sounds good to me. All right. Take us through it. You want me to take point? Yep. I already. I think I brought this up already, but yeah, I think this is a pretty quiet month for music. I don't intend to go on too much because I personally don't think any of these Only albums... Only 32 albums. <laughs> I don't think any of these albums are particularly that great to begin with. 
Um, but I think there are some, a couple of worthwhile mentions here on the list. Uh, so, top album of the month, according to album of the year, is uh, Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. You guys ever heard of Wilco? You know who this is? Negative. No, that, that sounded like absolute gibberish to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, it's like a phonetic thing or whatever. Is it the NATO alphabet or whatever? I don't know why or what that means, but... Sure, fair enough. The, yeah, the band of Wilco, they're pretty famous, I mean, in terms of indie rock. They're from Chicago. Um, why do people like this album so much? I'm not really all that sure. It's their best album, certainly, but I think it's because they're, in my opinion, not that like great of a band. Um, their production's really nice on this record, though. It sounds good. It's it's kind of like, imagine if, like, like Sgt. Pepper era's Beatles decided Ooh. to make a slowcore record. All right. It's kind of what you're getting into. Um, it's very chill and laid back. The production is very vibrant. In spite of it being a very dreary, kind of uh, sleepy album. You know, this actually is a, one of those few albums that's pretty good just like put on and kind of chill to. So I like it. And there's also a, a production, like a DVD documentary that came out called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. Which, by the way, is one of the tracks on this. And I remember watching that back in the day. Because I actually have a DVD copy of it and just being so bored. Like, I don't think I could ever make it through in one sitting. It was just really, really boring watching these guys make a boring record. Um, kind of a low stakes Yeah. Oh, proposition. Yeah, their studio dropped them for this album, too, before releasing it. Why? Because <laughs> they didn't think there was a, a, a single on it. They mm. didn't think there was a song that would hit the radio. And there's a song on here called um, Jesus, Etc., which is really good. I think that would have been the single. But even then, it is a very just kind of laid back, laconic track. So, yeah, there, there really isn't like a definitive this is our big lead jam on the record. So the studio dropped them. They quickly got picked up by another record label. Um, so it wasn't like this was long in the waiting for it to come out. Um, and the band acquired completely the rights for it. So, you know, pretty good for them. Yeah. Uh, next, first, we're going through the pop rock stuff. Uh, Pandra the Lion released an album called Control. There's a guy by the name of David Bazan. You guys ever heard of him? Either? No. He kind of traffics in the emo set, but he's not really an emo artist. Um, he's just more of a bigger... Again, your standard indie rocker. Um, this is a hard record because it's uh, it's a narrative record about infidelity and eventually murder. Um, oh, shit. All right. Yeah, if you, if you want to... That escalates. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you guys wanted to listen to, to the record and hear the narrative, essentially it's a husband's been cheating on his wife, and the wife ends up murdering him. Um, and it's just sort of... The songs are from the perspectives of the individuals involved. Um, and this, and kind of what leads up to this horrible event, and it's it's very, yeah, it's very much about how um, you know these concepts of, of infidelity um, and, and loyalty and trust, um, kind of how you know it can it can really you know, break the bonds that bind people together. So it's it, it's an it's an interesting concept, but it's also just very very dark and dirty content to listen to. That said, beautiful melodies. I, I love the way that he can take a little. What should just be anyone else just singing through a, a, a hook? Like, he gives it so much more nuance and detail. He actually has a really beautiful way of, of animating his songs. Um, but, but moving on. And again, it's, it's not that great a record. It's not that great a record. It's fine. Uh, but Kent released an album called Vapen and Ammunition. I guess it was supposed to mean Weapon. They're from, they're from Sweden. That's another indie rock group. I'm guessing you guys haven't heard of these guys either. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, they sound like Radiohead, so um, if if you're in 2002 and you're not already listening to Radiohead, you know you should be. If you if you've somehow already listened to like Kid A and Amnesiac, and you're like, I want more of this, but I want it to be Swedish. The band Kent made Vapen and Amnesiac. It's a really specific request. 
I mean, this, radio, but Swedish. Radiohead was like the biggest act in indie rock at the time. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of bands that want to sound like Radiohead, including Coldplay. Like, I think Coldplay had just released Parachutes, and that was very much a play at what they're doing, what their sound is, trying to take Brit rock and expand it into some other areas. Um, one of the biggest records of the month is Vanessa Carlton's uh, Be Not Nobody. There's a breakout record for her. Uh, has that song, A Thousand Miles. Unavoidable. Yeah. Um, and it was a huge, huge mm-hmm. single. Um, and probably the thing that immediately sticks out when it listens to that is that beautiful piano line that she does. Very intricate, very flourishy. Yeah, just after like the chorus ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that is the entire record. She is an incredible piano player. Hmm. Very, very talented. Um, and she has a distinct voice. I know some people don't like her voice. I think that it's, it's, um, she has that kind of like nasally caterwally kind of voice that, you know, a lot of people might get a little, find, find a little abrasive. I think it works really, really well. And the last thing I'll say about it is the drummer is fucking incredible on this record. I was not expecting the drummer to sound this good, but yeah, he's got a ton of like really articulate drum fills and he's just always there in the, he's really forward in the mix too. So it's really just... Drums, piano, and her voice are really the things that come through when you give it a listen. Mm. Um, I think if you if you care a lot about you know drum work on a record, under, under, like out of nowhere, this this album has some fantastic drum work. I've seen in the notes here that she does a, a cover of Paint It Black. Oh yeah, and she does wow. a cover of Paint It Black, which you would think, right. which you would think would suck, but it doesn't. She actually does a very good job with mm. it. It sounds really really good. Cool. Um, and then lastly, Cheryl Crow's. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's dying out. He's fine. He probably just breathed in some carpet. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Cheryl Crow releases "Come On, Come On." So it's been six years since she's made a record. I'm sure you guys know who Cheryl Crow is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, big singer songwriter from the era. Uh, she's been six years since she released her self-titled album, and uh, what she. Oh yeah, yeah. So like, people probably remember uh, that you know, just a, like maybe a year prior, she had that single with Kid Rock picture. Yeah. Um, so it's what not a like, weird pair. Not like she's been hiding from anybody, but you know, um, I think it's weird. Like it had a big single called "Soak Up the Sun." <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll play, we'll push there. He had a big single "Soak Up the, the Sun." The famously anti-beer Kid Rock. Yeah, no, no anti-Bud Light. <laughs> that guy's a fucking jackass. Yeah. Um, what I found interesting about this record is that even in only having thirteen songs. It's got over 50 credited musicians. All right. For essentially what is a folk rock pop record, it's got 50 credited musicians on 13 what? tracks. She credits herself playing 15 different instruments, which is a lot. That's a lot of instruments to play. Um, yeah, guests include Liz Fair, Lenny Kravitz, Stevie Nicks, Don Henley, Emmylou Harris... And uh, uh, what did you describe her as? Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, the soap the, maker? The artisan candle maker. Artisan candle maker, <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. Jeez. What is she doing on this album? You got me. You got me. I don't know. It sold a couple million copies, but it's, it's certainly not what her last record had sold. Um, and yeah, honestly, this album kind of kind of sucks. Like, you know, this is like when you walk out of a movie and you're like, eh, it's kind of an average movie. They spent $200 million on this movie. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of what I feel about this. It's like, you're telling me you got 50 professional musicians you yourself are playing 15 you've got this who's who of like 70s and 80s pop and rock stars on this record and Gwyneth Paltrow and your album is average as fuck yeah like whatever they they had post Royal Tenenbaums Gwyneth Paltrow alright 
I'm gonna just uh, rail off a couple here from the hip hop category. Uh, Black Alicious releases Blazing Arrow. That's a duo, Gift of Gab and DJ XL. Um, if you like Questlove, uh, oh, I mean, sorry, Questlove is on this one. As is DJ Shadow, High Tech, Cut Chemist, all really good. Um, I think if you like Dell a lot, like Dell the Funky Homo Sapien or Jurassic Five, it's an album worth listening to. Very like lush hi-fi hip hop, very very good. Uh, Daedalus releases now um, Invitation, or sorry, no Invention. And I had always heard of Daedalus. I never actually sat down and listened to any of this guy's records. Um, he's like an IDM producer. And this one's really pretty. I like this record a lot. It's very dreamlike. It's got this kind of like 50s Disney aesthetic to it, which is hard to describe, but I think if you listen to it, it would all make sense. It has this kind of Alice in Wonderland kind of charm to it. It's very fairy tale like production. I dug it. Very good. Um, Ashanti releases her self-titled album. She has a big single on this one called Foolish, a song I very much love. Great tune. Classic tune. Um, her debut, uh, she, she's interesting because, like, you know, in her career, I think she's going to make, like, six records. Four of them are going to come out in the next two years, like, from here on. Okay. So she's going to release a ton of music really, really quick, and then leave R&B to focus on acting. She's going to become mm. the actress. So... You know, you're left with this album, and it's maybe her best. I mean, she's got a number of really good records, but, um, you know, it's got that song Foolish on it, which, again, is so, so good. A song on here called Happy, which is also very nice. It was a big single at the time. Oh, yeah, and uh, six million units sold, so sold six million copies. That's a lot. I think that's our Take best. Take that, Cheryl Crow. Yeah, I think that's our best-selling record of the month. Um, again, it's good. I like it, but, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to tell anyone to go back and listen to it. Aside from that song, Foolish You Should, Foolish is a great tune. Sage Francis releases uh, Personal Journals. He's an indie rapper from Rhode Island. I mean, I like him all right. Uh, this is his debut, though. It's, it's a fun one. Um, if you like Aesop Rock and Atmosphere, if you like the turntablist beats and sort of slice of life rhyming, you'll like this a lot. He is a very good MC. He's got great flow. And Big Timers, I like Big Timers a lot. They release Hood Rich. Uh, that's Manny Fresh and Birdman, or Baby, whatever moniker he's going with at that given time. They are cash money uh, rappers and producers. Uh, this had a big single on it called Still Fly. Still Fly is a jam. It is a certified banger, I will tell you that. Um, cash Money's music, like the Cash Money record label, is all very much like hood music from New Orleans. So, like, this album is a lot more polished and pop and fun, I guess you could say. They're not so much rapping about, like, that hood street life. They're kind of just, uh, they're living it up. These are guys that have made a lot of money from selling um, cheaply produced hip-hop records. Uh, so, they're living it up. It's great. And uh, also Trick Daddy. I love Trick Daddy. He's on this record. It has a track called Demand. It's really, really good. Moving into Punk, uh, you have the first installment of the Punk Goes Pop series by Fearless Records. Do you guys ever listen to the Punk Goes Pop albums at all? Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, the premise is just that like these pop punk bands take the prominent singles of the era and do their versions. So I mean, I think okay. I, I don't have the track list in front of me. I think it was like they do some songs from like Britney Spears and then Sync and oh, um, that's funny. Christina Aguilera. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is like a huge, long running series, and it's still active today. Um, you know, with bands covering. Uh, Artists, as you can imagine, like everyone from like Taylor Swift to, uh, you, you know, like Beyonce and things like that. I'm sure I've heard one of these songs, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I couldn't like tell you which one. Yeah, um, and it, it's fun. I think at the time, the Fearless record label consisted mostly of skate punk bands. Now the whole pop punk sound has kind of morphed. 
into being a little more, bit more of like a hardcore focused. So a lot of the songs you hear on the newer ones are very much like hardcore breakdown driven. And these ones are all just like skate punk bands doing their thing. Mm. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's a little dated. None of the tunes are really that great, though. Uh, this band Stretch Armstrong is on there, though. And I really, really like Stretch Armstrong, so I will call them out. And a band called Denali releases their self-titled. Uh, fronted by a singer. Her name is Maura Davis. Uh, she's got a great voice. The whole album, it sounds like Bond themes. It's hard to describe, but it sounds like, mm. you know, like those kind of... da 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 yeah, all of the music sort of feels in, like, in the vibe of those cool, mysterious Bond music. Um, she's in the band is her also her brother, uh, Keely Davis, who's been in a number of groups. Um, it's good. I like it. I mean, the so the content, the stuff she writes about, it feels like she's writing spy lyrics too. Like she's basically her relationships she conducts as though she is engaged in espionage. And, like, what's funny is that her brother and his bands, like, Engine Down, does the same thing. They have the same style of writing. So, like, I think this Davis family might actually be real-life spies that on the side just make indie rock. It's the perfect cover. It really is. If you're an indie rock band writing songs about spies, who's going to suspect you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sleeper agents. Mm. Guys, believe it or not, only a couple more albums to go. We're almost Let's do it. Woo. So, Mers Bow uh, releases Mers Beat. I wouldn't bring them up if not for the fact that I think this was the second highest reviewed album, which, again, I doubt these people even listen to Mers Bow because it is harsh, harsh noise rock. Very harsh. I'll say it again, it's harsh. It is really tough to listen to this stuff. So, I'm amazed that people are actually like saying they go back and listen to Mers Beat by Mers Bow. It's, it's just their so. fans who are reviewing the. Yeah, the if you, albums. Have you really like even that? Just family members. <laughs> <laughs> if you like harsh electronics, it's great. It really is great. Like if you if you want to get into like, you know, hearing these atonal sounds that you wouldn't expect, like you know, using instruments to make things that don't sound like music. It's great. It's really cool. But I don't know. It's it, there's there's a lot. I think there's a lot of other stuff you probably have to listen to for what they're doing to really connect and make sense. Um, ARPANET releases Wireless Internet. This is a Detroit duo. You guys made fun of them last time I brought them up so when I was trying to describe it. They had an album like The Sounds of Detroit or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Or like it sounds like broken windows and fire. Or something. <laughs> sirens. Sirens, that's what it was. No, this is a Detroit techno duo. This is the other half of it. We had talked about um, James Stinton, who was in the group, and the other guy is uh, Gerald Donald, and this is uh, an album that he made. It's a lecture, though. It's not techno. Um, and it's fantastic. Do you know? Do you know what Arpanet is? No. Apparently, it was the first true um, internet system. Okay. That was uh, using packeted data, and it existed between a, a series of colleges <coughs> in Southern California and Utah that were actually sending back in the seventies data back and forth. Um, so you know, and in it, the album is called Wireless Internet. Which is wild. Like, wireless internet was not really a thing at the time. And he's naming his album after this modern, this then seemingly so futuristic concept of sending data. Um, and if you listen to the album, I think that's the point. There's a lot of, like, the only spoken stuff is sort of this robotic, the only lyrics, quote unquote, are, is this robotic voice that he recorded, which was predicting the future. It was predicting how information would change um, over time. And it's all very prophetic because a lot of it's true. He's essentially talking about how we're going to use things like Bluetooth and how, how wireless internet will become a thing. It'll be a huge thing. And it'll be how we uh, we He's all... a soothsayer. Uh, that we have little computers in our pockets and we walk around all day with them, you know? 
<laughs> and we use them to do our shopping. <laughs> yeah. And he puts it all over these just, like, tight as fuck Electro Beats. Like, this, this album is great. I love this record. It is so um, it is so evocative of an era. And even then, like, in 2002, this is album feels like it should have come out 20 years prior. So now we listen to it today, sort of appreciating mm. a then-modern take on an old sound. Um, very, very cool. couple metal albums, and then we're done. Uh, Boris releases Heavy Rocks. Boris is a Japanese trio. Uh, we actually talked about an album they had called Flood in January of 2001, as I recall, so it's been a bit. And that Flood record was literally one song, and it was just this big wall of distortion. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about that one. Mm-hmm. So this one's a much more straightforward album. It's very much like 70s hard rock in the vein of maybe like Led Zeppelin or something. Just so big riffs, sounds fantastic. Absolutely love this. And it's also funny that Boris released an album at the same time as Merce Bow because Boris and Merce Bow have worked together on I think like eight records total. Like they've worked together a fuck ton. Um, but this Boris record, it is so, so good. Heavy Rocks, and there's three albums that they have called Heavy Rocks, so you have to call it like Heavy Rocks 2002. My big surprise of the month was Between the Buried and Me. They released their self-titled record. This is a band I've listened to for years. Um, I never really went back and listened to their debut, though, which is kind of a shame, because this album is fucking amazing. Um, I know them more as like a progressive rock that occasionally dabbles in kind of brutal death metal. Um, and this is just such a, such a like a bizarro, manic mix of stuff. It's like two of my, my favorite albums that have come out recently in metal is like Pig Destroyer and Every Time I Die. And they took the grind from Pig Destroyer. And it's then, great for the family and kids. Yeah. These albums. Just, uh, you, you know we have a wild boar problem. Some of those pigs need to be destroyed. Yeah. They're doing the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but like Pig Destroyer is, is probably one of the best grindcore bands around. If you listen to Extreme Metal, you've probably heard of Pig Destroyer. And now we know what they do with the boars. Mm-hmm. They grind to their course. I'm yeah. funny too, guys. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> yeah, you're, doing, you're doing great. I'm funny too. So yeah, and also, uh, just to get back on track, they're, they're mixing in like southern rock sound of Every Time I Die. Um, and yeah, this album, you just don't really know what to expect from it. It gives you everything. It even gives you like slamming brutal death metal, probably the most guttural display of extreme metal. They just do on a whim as though it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a card in the deck to them. All of their music feels like it's a card in the deck. Like they're just doing all this stuff and they could do any of it as much as they want to and they inter- intermix it all so beautifully and you don't expect it even when they come in with like classic thrash tracks or doing like just weird like heavy metal breakdowns and then just hardcore breakdowns just like it's it you, this album doesn't sit still ever um and it's just really fun to listen to i think the more knowledgeable you are about the scope of metal the more you'll appreciate this one um it might just seem a little uh Bipolar. If you were to just put it on and listen to it, it'd be like, "What the fuck is this band trying to do?" Because there are actually like sweeping melodic passages, melodic prog rock passages in it too. So, uh, it's just it's a, it's a really good record. It's a really good record. I would absolutely recommend. Uh, Between the Buried Me's self-titled album, um, Mars Volta releases the Tremulant EP. Real quick breakdown on that is: there's this band at the drive-in. People really love at the drive-in. I think they're they're fine, but they're not that big a deal. They split. One group forms Sparta. We'll talk about their album later this year. And the other group is Mars Volta. Mars Volta is more of a prog band, and they released this three-song EP. It's it's fine. I, I like Sparta more than Mars Volta. It's very prog-oriented. <laughs> the only interesting thing about it, I think, the fun little side note, is that Cedric uh, Bixter, who is in Mars Volta, is from El Paso, Texas. 
also from El Paso, Paso Texas, is Beto O'Rourke. Who's very good at losing elections. He is very good at losing elections. Um, but the big thing about him is that he was always like this punk rocker, for, you know, politician. Mm. And he is, gets that label as being a punk rocker because he was in bands with Cedric Bixter. That's fun. Back in the day. So there's a fun little connection to modern politics by means of Mars Volta. And the very last album is Insomniums in the Halls of Awaiting. Um, this is just every month there's a fucking European melodic death metal record and here you go. This is your record. It's pretty good, actually. I kind of like it. Um, I think that in this era, there's some really good ones and some really bad ones. And this one, I think, airs more on like the Inflames Opeth side, which is the good side, if you're keeping track. And less yes. like this Indeed. soil work, which we talked about soil work last month. So I don't know if you guys remember me ripping into that record a little bit. It wasn't that great. Um, this one's fine. But you know what? You should listen to these other three records instead, because mm. there's too much... Too much European melodic death metal, and that's that. That's music. All right, album of the month. Make a call. Uh, between the buried and me is for sure it. There we go. Yeah. Album of the month. Between the buried and me. Game of the month. Resident Evil. Let's talk about the movies of the month. And I don't know the I don't know the budgets or box offices. I have them right here. So we get to guess. Oh, we get to guess. So you guys yes. have to play. Ha ha. Oh. All right. So we gonna go with themes by. What the top of the game, top of the album is, then the top movie is probably going to be Murder by Numbers. Uh, I doubt right. it. <laughs> Resident Evil, and then Buried Between, whatever, and then try to keep it to. I'm funny too, guys. No, you do great. You're doing great. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> but Murder, Murder by Numbers is not a particularly interesting movie. Uh, why don't we start with uh, High Crimes? Let's start at the top of the list here. Okay. I did not watch this movie. Uh, neither did I. Okay, but yeah. So Ashley and Morgan Freeman yeah, back together. Yeah, they had uh, just made, was it Along Came a Spider, I think was the one that they did? Or maybe it was Kiss the Girls, I forget. One of those with Sam Jackson, maybe? Uh, no, I think um, I think they both had Morgan Freeman, but like one of them is is like a prequel to the other. I don't know. They're, they're like these, these thriller movies that aren't particularly good. I, I haven't really seen much of Morgan Freeman in his youth. <laughs> I don't think he was ever young. Well, he it started just, just always just. <laughs> I want to say his first acting credit was in his like late forties or early fifties. Mm. He was never a young actor. Well, younger, but you know, he probably has some yearbook photos somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, I don't think you're going to find young performances of him. He big, did. big well, polar star. Not, I mean, like non like <laughs> like Driving Miss Daisy. That's probably one of his earliest. Like the earliest movie of his, I probably the first thing that comes to mind is um, God. What is the prison movie? Shawshank. Shawshank. Like that's probably the earliest one that comes to Maya that I've seen. I'm sure there's earlier I've seen, but there's I haven't really seen a lot of like Morgan Freeman movies. As like a young vibrant man. As like the leading role, like this is mm. that's my movie. I haven't really seen many of that. Okay. Am I on mute, you guys? I told you he didn't about. start acting until he was like fifty. <laughs> I believe I'm letting Wes riff here. <laughs> <laughs> He's eighty five years old, are you kidding me? Uh what do you guys think the uh oh shoot. Hang on. Take a time out here. Okay, so High Crimes, budget. I know nothing about this movie. Oh, we didn't mention Jim Caviezel's in it. Oh, yeah. Who was just in Count of Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. We didn't even say anything about this movie. Like, what? what? 30% on Rotten Tomato, and it looks stupid. We don't care about it. Uh, essentially, if, if I'm reading correctly, like, Jim Caviezel's married to Ashley Judd, but she's been, he's been lying about the fact that he committed a bunch of war crimes or something. Oh, God. Jeez. And then Morgan Freeman's, like, is, like, a lawyer or something? I don't know. I, this movie sounds so trash. I didn't bother with it. I'll go first on yeah, a, take a, a budget. Out. I mean, I don't know. I didn't even see a trailer for this thing, but I'll guess I'll, I'll plug in thirty-five million. I was gonna go twenty-five. Forty-two. Ooh, Ooh, so okay. Ryan gets that one. 
Uh, what do you think it made? Box office, total, worldwide. I'm going to say we're 25. <laughs> I would think this movie did okay. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of big names. People really like these actors a lot. Yeah, probably. I'll, I'll pencil it for 80. I was 60. 60 was my actual guess. I was goofing around. Okay, yeah, it was 63. Oh. So, yeah, it did, made his money back. Did all right. Yeah. Nothing to write home about. Let's talk about Van Wilder, fellas. I did watch this one. Yeah, what'd you think on uh, a, a recent viewing? Uh, yeah, it's one I remember back in the day. It's it's really cringy. Um, it's that kind of R-rated juvenile stuff. It's, Ooh, it's, it's like a American Pie sort of raunchy. Well, you know, it is, it's, a, it's a National Lampoon's film, but yeah, it's in the vein of like American Pie with a lot of just absolutely like gross-out gags and just really juvenile shit. Um, uh, and it's general also, premise, Ryan Reynolds oh, is yeah. very like really charismatic. Uh, got a lot of magnetism on film. He's a really likable guy. Um, he's got like a new college roommate, and then just like taking uh, our, our our friend Cal Penn, who's the new roommate, on this journey to uh, how he becomes popular or self confident, really. Yeah. For. Well, like right, yeah, Ryan Reynolds' character Van Wilder is sort of stuck in this like state of arrested development mm-hmm. where he doesn't want to leave college, even though he needs to. He needs to graduate. And he's like, that's the whole. Set up. That's his journey that he's on. Is that yeah? He's got like a few more credits before he's officially graduated, but he's sort of become this fixture of the community, the college community. And every year he takes on a new personal assistant, and then this time around it's Cal Penn, is his character. Um, and Who's yeah, Cal Penn. He's an actor. Do you remember the? He wrote. He recently hosted the Daily Show for a bit. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Mm. He was on that show House for a little while. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then he worked for the Obama administration. That guy, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's really low effort, low rent gags. Um, and it's also aping the narrative of the film Back to School with Doc Rodney Dangerfield, which is a genuinely okay. good comedy. <laughs> I like that movie a lot. Um, so I didn't need to say, and Ryan, you're right, Ryan Reynolds is cool. Like, he's actually really, a really fun and likable guy in this Um and everyone just feels like such a cliche. Every character feels like such a cliche, uh, cliche. But I do like the fact that the one teacher that he keeps, like, you know, he steals his parking space or he, like, fucks him over in this way or that way. At the very end of the movie, he's one of the guys that's, like, you know, when it comes to, like, the vote where they're, like, are we going to kick him out of the school or are we going to let him try to pass his classes? He's, like, the deciding vote that's, like, let's see what this kid's made of. <laughs> you know, it's nice to see that not everybody is a total douche just because they're old. Because I think that's what they're trying to say is if you're old, you're an asshole. And if you're young, you're cool. Um, so, I don't know. The, the vice principal comes through and gives him a shot. Yeah, this won't be the only the only one in this uh, in this scenario here. But by the way, this is, this is a trilogy of films. This is a series of films. Mm-hmm. But this is the only one that actually has Van Wilder in it. Right. And the rest of them are like called Van Wilder colon something else. Right. So there's, there are two more films in this series, and he does not make an appearance in either of them. <laughs> it's funny. Which is kind of kind of silly. Oh, and the soundtrack is like crazy drenched in pop home. Uh, like there's a couple of tracks from Dreamy World on there. I think Slick Shoes might be in there as well. Um, yeah. Psalm 41. Like, yeah, kind of like the usual suspects of, of yeah. pop punk tracks. Um, oh yeah, there, this is like this is like heat seeker missile targeted at like fourteen to nineteen year old white boys. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, was directed by a man named Walt Becker, who's not really a household name. I uh, also directed Wild Hogs in two thousand seven. Oh, old Dogs, Alvin oh. and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip, oh, and most recently Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh. So definitely. Uh, 
took more of a turn into like family friendly. So uh, when they were guys. passing out the scruples, he's like, "No, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, a brisk ninety-three minutes. Get through this one pretty quickly. That's yeah. like a Morbius. Yeah, it's it is it is. Uh, yeah, it, it's just bad. All right, budget. What do you think? Uh, thirty-two. Oh, I think dirt cheap. I bet this movie costs fucking nothing to make. I'm gonna say thirteen. Five million dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thirty-two. What the? I, I'm bad. Got it. Got a really, <laughs> really, really low budget here. Sixty-five um, million dollars. I wasn't that close either, man. I knew this movie was cheap as fuck. Uh, box office. What do you think it did? Oh, it probably did well. Yeah, I think it probably did okay too. I mean, they made two more after it. Um, well, how was the budget? <laughs> Five million. Uh, you know, you don't so, gotta do so if if uh, let's just just to, if to throw out a number, if it made fifteen million, it made three times its budget back. That's fair, right? That's fair. Uh, God, I, I I I have no idea. Forty. How's <laughs> this? I think maybe more. I'll say seventy-five. Thirty-eight. Oh, not that much. Oh, that. Right on the money there. Look at that. Right. Very good. So yeah, made uh, made quite a bit of its money back, so I guess good for them. Mm-hmm. Let's move over to Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah, I actually did watch this one, and it was kind of like a, uh, I guess I'll knock this one out, um, too, since I'm just watching these old did movies. Did binge watch like three of these in an afternoon? Over the course of a couple of days, I watched a couple of them, yeah. I watched like three movies over two days, I think. But it was not, it was not uh, Bend It Like Beckham, and I gotta say, I was actually really impressed by this movie. What is it? So who's Beckham? David Beckham. Have you heard of him? Hey, it's some soccer player, right? Yeah, he's a Premier League, the English Premier League. To be honest, the only reason why I know who David Beckham is is because of Deadpool. Oh, is he? A he makes game? a he makes a joke about somebody somebody's voice sounding like David Beckham. It's like something with a gravel or something. I don't know. And then they they did a. Uh, commercial for Deadpool 2 where they had David Beckham and then he was apologizing to him for the joke. It was funny. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> That's I think the only reason why I know who the fuck David Beckham is. <laughs> like, I think prior to David Beckham, and I grew up my entire life, probably prior to knowing who David Beckham was, thinking that Pele was the only soccer player that existed, because Pele was like the only name. Yeah, he just played against himself. Yeah, like, again, America is so yeah, ignorant in terms... Him. Yeah, America's like so ignorant in terms of like, soccer. The world's sport. That we don't have any real recognizable faces or stars mm. in the world of soccer. Like, I mean, I could probably name four or five guys total, and I'm sports obsessed. Uh, Megan Rapinoe. Hey, yeah, there you go. I wasn't <laughs> even thinking. Wait, we all want. There you go. There you go. Oh, this uh, Becca movie directed by Gurinder Chadra. She also directed lots of Indian films. Yeah, nothing that I've heard of. She brings it well, and she is a movie called Bride and Prejudice. She is Indian, but she's British, too. So she kind of brings this crossover kind of appeal to this film. Because it's not like a Bollywood film, even though it very much has this Indian angle to it. Um, oh, yeah. And so that's the... And I remember thinking this was like a kid's movie. I thought this was like a Angels in the Outfield. Right, it's got like, a young, like, Kira Knightley in it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, too. The stars of it are actually in the, like, late teens, early 20s. This isn't like a okay. kid, kid movie about sports. And essentially what it is is that these two girls, uh, one is from an Indian family that is very traditional, and the other is um, from a very traditional English family. The other one's Keira Knightley. Played by Keira Knightley. Um, She's probably the only recognizable name in it. Um, But yeah, yeah, uh, 
basically the two of them have this friendship. They develop a very tight friendship um, over the fact that they're both very talented at soccer and are prepared to basically play in the like professionally in the women's leagues in England. And it's about um, about the Indian woman trying to overcome her relationship with her parents because her parents think that she shouldn't be doing this that she should be focusing on you know more traditional indian life um the parents of the british girl played by kira knightley are very much concerned that their daughter is a lesbian is essentially what they're because <laughs> you play sports you know it's it's <laughs> this movie manages to tackle a lot of different themes and does it well yeah it, it addresses racism and homophobia misogyny all of this all of these topics get very with a lot of nuance get tackled in this movie and it's, it's just genuinely good. I think there's a lot of chemistry between two characters. You really grow to like both families in spite of the way that you see how they're... You know, there's no villain in it. There's really no villain in it. It's just tragic circumstances that you get to see these two families work through, you know, directly with their daughters and even with each other, in a way. Hmm. Um, you know, like, you could read the reviews. It got 85% on Rotten Tomatoes and, like, totally earned it. Like, this is a genuinely good film. It's a good sports film. It's a good family film. And uh, it's a very... I don't know, PC lefty kind of progressive message. It's cool. You know what? You sold me. I think I'm in. Yeah. Where where did you end up watching it? This one was, I think, streaming on Amazon Prime. Okay. Yeah. Again, I I would totally recommend it. And I don't even know if it's them, but uh, David Beckham and Posh Spice. I think you're supposed to see them at this one part in the film where they're making a cameo, and I think it's them, but they're really far away. Hmm. It's like... cameo. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like They're slightly out of focus. The movie's named after... After Beckham, and he's like barely maybe there. Turns out just two horses. If we show you in focus, then we have to pay you more money. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> uh, runtime but uh, hour and sorry, um, hundred twelve minutes. So just under two hours. Okay. Uh, what do you think the budget was? Oh, I have no idea. This one's actually hard, hard one to it, in U.S. dollars. I don't know because you got to convert it to. I'm not converting it to pounds. I don't know what the exchange rate. Was I think it's pieces of eight. Isn't that what they call them? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fifteen. I'll, I'll say probably a little more. Maybe I don't know. Thirty. Um, Five point six million. Again, sparse. Yeah, uh, yeah, a thrifty movie. What do you think did box office worldwide? Oh, this crushed. I bet this crushed. You want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. I'll say hundred thirty. I'm gonna go seventy-five. Seventy-six. Oh, oh nice. I mean, it doesn't break that oh. 100 million mark. However, with a budget of 5 million and then you're turning around and making 75 million, why, are, why isn't this a trilogy? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's. Well, they kill off all the characters at the end. <laughs> Spoilers, motherfucker. God damn it. Frailty, directed by our boy Bill Paxton. May he rest in peace. Yeah, his only directorial credit that I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, a thriller movie, um, also starring Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton, direct and stars in it. Hey, hey, hey. And it's a movie, it's a psychological thriller, it kind of takes place in two parts. You have this part where Matthew McConaughey is putting together this confession of uh, murders, or um, to, to be more specific about it, he's he's giving an account, kind of like a deposition uh saying that his brother is guilty of like these these murders that have been occurring to this uh, FBI agent. Well, without spoiling anything, to me, it's very much the usual suspects format. Mm. Like, the usual suspects... Yeah, it's kind of structured that way. Kevin Spacey relaying to a cop his story, essentially. 
And that's kind of how this movie even starts is modern day Matthew McConaughey sitting down and saying, like, I know you're looking for this killer. It's my brother. Let me tell you how I know all of this. And then from there you flash back to when he and the brother are kids and they're being raised by Bill Paxton, their father. And Bill Paxton is uh, a very much uh, staunchly religious person. And he thinks he has been given this this vision uh, by God and or and like this sort of supernatural power that he can uh, when he like touches people like on on the arm or on the head or something he'll they'll they'll reveal themselves to be demons mm-hmm. and his his job on earth charged by God to track these people down and kill them to purge them from the planet so and, and all there's the, that scene where he opens up the what, what is it the shed door and then there's the axe. Right, and the gloves there, and it's like these are his tools that he's supposed to. Yeah, those are like the he he had to come by these these three weapons that he needed, uh, in in order to, uh, it just turned out to be like an axe, a pipe, and a pair of gloves. So, in the the conflict throughout, like the 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 backflash when you're actually working your way through through the narrative as is being relayed by Matthew McConaughey, Mm -hmm. is that uh, the the older son. Whose name is escaping me? Uh, is it does, Adam? Adam is the younger son, yeah. and Adam is going along with the whole thing. He really, he's a, he's a younger he's kid. Into it. Yeah, he he totally trusts his dad. He thinks that they're they're doing the Lord's work in this. Mm-hmm. And the the older son is like, no, you're murdering people. You're a crazy person. This needs to stop. And uh, so much so that you know, he tries to tell other people go oh, to the Fenton. police and stuff. Fenton, that's the one. Yeah. Um. But it it really is about. Fenton trying to uh, deny that it's happening, kind of like going through the stages of, okay, well now now I have to uh, sell him out. I have to tell someone my dad's going around murdering people. He has to deal with the fact that like, you know, no one's believing him. His dad is trying to make him an active participant in this murder. So it's about his, his struggle to get away from the situation that he's found himself in because he's got this religious zealot of a dad. And it's interesting, this is like the, the first time since 9-11 that we were seeing a movie that deals with uh, religious zealotry, particularly like Christian religious zealotry in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it uh, it handles it pretty well. I mean, there's a psychological thriller. There are a couple of moments where you know, you're going to get the rug pulled out from underneath you and you think it's going to go one way. You think they're turning left, they're going right. Um, so it does have some surprises in there. Mm-hmm. But just like the, uh, the sort of cool, calm fanaticism of, of Bill Paxton in this movie. That was really interesting. Oh, yeah, agreed. I think that there are a, a ton of... Even if it feels a little predictable, you can kind of sense that not everything is what it seems. Mm. Um, you know, it really pays off well. The performances are great. McConaughey's great in this. Even though you really only see him in the contemporary time, you have child actors portraying them at the younger age. Right. And yeah, they, <laughs> they put Matthew McConaughey in, like, they make him walk on his knees. <laughs> that would be amazing. Put shoes in front of his kneecaps. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and uh, Bill Paxton is, you're, like you said, he's just got that kind of focused kind of rage to him. He's mm-hmm. fantastic in this. Um, I also think it's beautifully shot. I think it's very well shot. A couple of scenes specifically stick out as just looking absolutely gorgeous. I think it's... Uh, Paxton really had an eye for what he wanted to make, both with a great story and actually putting it like putting it on a screen and making a compelling narrative that looks great. So I think it's kind of a shame he never bothered to make another film. It's really cool what he did with this one. Hmm. 
And there's like, and there's two layers of the twist, quote unquote, twist ending to it as well. Not only in you know when you find out like who's killing who, but on top of that, like whether or not they really genuinely had powers in the first place, mm. like whether there was actually some kind of divinity in what they were doing. You know, I think there's all of this really cool. This cool stuff nested in this film, and mm. essentially, it's you know, it's just a tight little crime thriller. Yeah, uh, so it was a nice little do surprise. Some, do some interesting stuff, and a movie filled with things like Van Wilder for for the month. You know, yeah, it, it's nice to have something as a bit of a sidestep. Mm-hmm. Uh, about ninety nine minutes runtime, so you can get through this in a little bit longer than a Morbius. What do you guys think of the budget? I think Ryan's first this time. I accidentally saw it. Oh, okay, I mean, Threw I don't. It. I don't think very much. Probably like fifteen million. I guess. Do you remember what it was you want to tell him? 11. Okay. Yeah. As far as box office, made his money back. I'm sure it did. I don't think much, though. Uh, I mean, I barely remember anything about this movie. I would say it probably made, I don't know, 30. 17. Oh, okay. Yeah, barely made his money back. Yeah. Let's shift over to Changing Lanes. Here we go. It's a Ben Affleck and a Sam Jackson vehicle. Directed by Roger Mitchell. Uh, director of Notting Hill and some rom-coms. Is this a rom-com with Ben Affleck and Sam Jackson? I've never seen this. No, no, it's not. It's no. it's uh, it's so the, the premise is that uh, Affleck is uh, like supposed to be some kind of wealthy lawyer or something, and then Sam Jackson is hot just off like, of Pearl Harbor. Ben Affleck. Yeah, he he has just like some job or whatever, and as I understand, they're, they're, gosh, it's, it's if I remember correctly. Sam Jackson is trying to get custody of his children or something, and the two of them have a car accident, and it sort of starts this spiral of the both of them wanting to kind of get revenge on the other. Both feel slighted, and both feel as though they have been taken advantage of, and uh, want you know want repercu- like want to be I don't know compensated or whatever. So they take it out on each other, and like uh, you know that's about as much as I remember about the movie. Um, that said, like I looked up the critic scores and audience scores, and it's actually got pretty good reviews. I think this may be one that, in spite of its like seemingly kind of silly premise and setup, it might actually be a genuinely good movie. So I don't want to. Okay. Well, you get you know. uh, Ben Affleck and Sam Jackson. Like we mentioned Tony Collette is in there. Sidney Pollock, Amanda Peet. Yeah, Sidney Pollock. William great. Hurt. It's a great cast. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Clocks into the brisk 99 minutes again. What do you guys think of budget? Wes, take a stab at it. Oh, God. Ben Affleck, Sam Jackson, Sidney Pollock. 35. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, 35 actually sounds like a pretty good guess. I don't know, 50? 45. Okay. All right. How do you think it did? Again, right now, Pearl Harbor, 82. I'll go a little higher. I guess I say 100. 94. Okay. Right. Yeah. Not too shabby for this little movie. Yeah. The Sweetest Thing, starring Cameron Diaz. Directed by Roger Cumble of Cruel Intentions. Oh, sure. <laughs> kind of a kind of dark comedy in that one. Yeah. And he's made some other. I didn't write down everything that this guy's made, but he's made some. I, you know, last month when we were looking at the movies, we had this incredible collection of directors. And in this one, it's it's like. Walt Becker, Carl Franklin, Roger Mitchell, Roger Cumble. Like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> Rogers Rogerson. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I don't. I, re- I don't know if I've actually seen this movie, 
Same. I do. I do remember like Christina Applegate and uh, Cameron Diaz are in this movie, and there's like a scene where they're like uh, sort of sexually taunting some people who are driving in a car next to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron Diaz is is like being provocative, like while Christina Applegate is unaware. All I remember about this movie. Yeah, I think the whole idea that movie? of her being the sweetest thing is supposed to be like a, a tongue-in-cheek joke. She's supposed to be very not nice, okay. <laughs> as I understand. Um, yeah, I think that's supposed to be the whole premise, is that she's she's sort of the the dominant exploitative one in relationships from other mm. people's perspectives. I don't know, it had a good cast. Like Again, Selma Blair, Parker Posey, Christina Applegate, Thomas Jane, Jason Bateman. I like a lot of these actors and actresses. It's a... Uh, I don't know, it just looks pretty shitty. I didn't really care about it. Can I take a guess that uh, the 85 minutes long, there is an unrated version that's Ooh. 91 minutes long. Get that deleted scene. Probably get oh. to see Thomas Jane's butt. Oh, one can hope. Yeah. <laughs> what is Parker Posey doing in this movie? I guess she needs a paycheck, too. Anyway, uh, box office. Wes, I think you're first. Oh, we're on box office first? Everybody. Oh, sorry, budget first. Budget. Yeah. Oh. Adjusted for inflation, of course. Oh, it's Cameron Diaz. How big was she at this point? I don't think she's been in. Uh, she was in The Mask, of course. That was mid-90s. probably something about Mary had come out by that point. Yeah, I think we are past something about Mary. Oh, really? she was in Charlie's Angels. Yep, Charlie's Angels. Uh, she's, she's a big deal. I don't think we've gotten to gangs in New, New York yet. Oh, uh, Parker Posey was in Scream Three. Oh, <laughs> so good. I'll do thirty. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I actually feel maybe you could probably even go even lower. I'll say twenty-five. Forty-three. Worth your million. My That's original old. guess was going to be twenty. What do you think of the the box office, West? Ninety. Ooh, big money. Yeah, I'll give it big money. It's big a, swing. It's Cameron Diaz, and you know she's doing stuff. Yeah, sure is. I don't know. I feel like this movie maybe made its money back. I'll say sixty. Sixty-eight. Okay. Sixty-eight. All right. What do we got next? On our list of movies, I see it as Chuck Russell's feature, The Scorpion King. Oh yeah, oh boy, starring a Rock, the Dwayne Johnson. I watched this one. It has the, apparently <laughs> I, the I've most seen this notes I've This one, <laughs> I've seen this one too. Not oh, a long boy. time. Yeah. Uh, I remember not liking. It. We're like, what are we? Less than a year removed from the Mummy two? Wasn't it like yeah. summer of twenty twenty one? And I'm pretty sure when we talked about that, when I made this defense of The Rock where I was like why didn't they give him more speaking lines why didn't they give him any speaking lines he's great have you ever watched him wrestle he spends 90% of the time with a microphone yelling at a crowd he's amazing why don't they let him speak and he does and it's, it's actually competent it's okay <laughs> <laughs> probably one of his his earliest roles in a, in a film I think yep. this was his like first of his movies but yeah now now he's like he's in all kinds of movies about cars oh, and yes. Fast and Furious nonsense movies <laughs> he like was a tooth fairy skyscraper and yeah the tooth fairy Jumanji but yeah he's, he's all over the place now everyone loves The Rock no it's like um, and, and just like we're talking about with Van Wilder this is a the Scorpion King series has had five films but this is the only one that has The Rock I think at a certain point like WWE took over like the production of Scorpion King movies yeah Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's it's not even like Universal Pictures that does it. Like it kind of like made itself uh, in independent of the Mummy franchise. Yeah, I mean, so like from my take on watching this, I think there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work in the movie, like at all. It's not really 
bad. You can't say it's like a terrible how, film. How many scorpions are in the movie? That's what's my last sentence I wrote here. Oh, <laughs> virtually no actual scorpions. <laughs> <laughs> that bothered the shit out of me, man. I was like, there's gotta be some scorpions. He's a right? king with no kingdom. <laughs> I know. You're reading my notes here, man. I tell you, there's no fucking scorpions. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you have to think about it this way, it's like six months ago, if you were living in this time, you just saw Fellowship of the Rings. Mm. Like, you're like, oh, multiple times. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you watch this, which is so fucking amateurish. Like, you know, like, the action scenes are terribly shot, and they're fucking boring. I re- I remember, I was as I was watching the film, I was like, "This is already our third action scene that we're in right now." And I just brought up the bar to see how much time was left in the movie, and we were only twenty eight minutes into the movie. Oh no! And they had they were already on their third action set piece, and they just do that. Like there's fucking fight scene after fight scene after pointless fight scene. And they're all, like, really cheaply made. The fighting's not very good. Um, it's not filmed well, either. <laughs> the CG in it is, like, really shitty. It's, like, not shit. It's not shitty. It's just second rate. It's just not very good CG, especially considering, like, what Fellowship of the Rings gets away with, where they're not, not using a bloated budget of CG, either, really. Like, it's nice. And, yeah, and then it's, like, Looney Tunes caliber action with lots of pratfalls and gags and kind of stupid shit happening. And yeah, there are... somebody paints a doorway on a lot of cliffs <laughs> he runs right into it. There are some moments that genuinely feel like that. Oh no, where it's so silly, like they know, they know it's bad, and they're they're not they're not like I don't know. You just kind of have to see the movie. And, he, he did the red um, cape, and then the bull was running, and they pulled it away. And it was an anvil, you know they, that kind of crap. <laughs> no, I, I kid you not. Yeah, this, this is the kind of shit that they would do. At a certain point, The Rock puts on a dress and pretends to be a sexy lady <laughs> to confuse them. I actually would be more positive towards this movie if that happened. Let's do a live action Looney Tunes reboot with The Rock as Bugs Bunny. Oh god, that'd be so funny. Jason Statham will be uh, Elmer Fudd. Guys, they're literally you, you're joking. I'm not. I, and don't laugh. It does happen in the movie. Go on. There is literally a scene where they're trying to break into the castle, and they're going to do it with a bunch of harem girls. One of the harem girls is Michael Clark Duncan, who takes the thing off and then cartoonishly punches the guy in the face. Oh my god, I may may have to watch this This is, you are not joking. You are telling me what happens in the movie. (laughs) I may have to watch this movie. They didn't, like, notice the massive so fucking show. The guy is seven feet tall. <laughs> so bad. What the fuck? No, oh, these, these kind of moments happen throughout the movie. It is played for laughs. It's so jokey and silly. Um, oh, I will say Grant Hesloff is in this. Grant Hesloff is also a writer and director. He's written a bunch of movies with George Clooney. He's done some acting work, too. And he actually is good in this movie, too. He's very enjoyable. He reminds you of, like, those fun characters from The Mummy. Um, he's just sort of this weaselly guy that's like supposed to be a magician that helps him out along the oh, way. Oh, he's the Benny of the movie. Yeah, essentially. Um, he's, and he's good. He, he, I really like his performance in this. And Bernard Hill plays like an old uh, sort of, well, I guess kind of a wizard, but really he's just one of the few people around there that understand basic science um, and uses it to help the narrative along. So Bernard, Bernard, you, you might recognize Bernard Hill from Doctor Who. He's wealth. Yeah. Does that mean anything to you, Wes? No. I thought you were a dork, too. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, which which Doctor Who? Uh, Tenant. He's uh, Donna's grandfather. Oh, yeah, that guy. Well, he's, al- about. he's also going to be in, I believe, Two Towers. 
He's, oh, yeah? if I remember correctly, isn't there the red-haired woman that pretends to be a man so she can go into battle? Her dad? Is it King or something? No, that's not him. I don't think it's Bernard Hill. That's not him. He, I'm pretty sure he's casted in Two Towers. Maybe I'm thinking, maybe thinking of a different guy. Ooh, you know what? I'm not, this guy's not in Doctor Who. I'm thinking of a different guy entirely. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you you are correct. This guy, Bernard Hill, who's not who I'm thinking of, is in Two Towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But really, shame on me for not knowing Doctor Who that well. <laughs> <laughs> I saw. I'm a, sorry, a, I undercut your point. <laughs> no, 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 it's totally fine. I saw a guy with white hair and a white beard, and I immediately thought, like, oh, he's British, Doctor Who, of course. Now, that was played by Bernard Cribbins. Ah, uh, of course, different Bernard. Yes. Anyway, I mean, Bernard Hill might be British too. We don't know. Oh, also, weirdly, there's a lot of new metal in this. <laughs> Like, like, I, I saw oh that God. in your notes, and it just made me think of like Queen of the Dam. Like, why is yeah? What, what is going on with these soundtracks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it is just a bizarre mix of just the weirdest stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I wrote more notes about this movie than anything else. Clearly, it left me feeling ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you can suffer through this movie for ninety-two minutes if you want. Yeah. What do you guys think the budget was? I think Ryan, you're first this time. Uh, I mean, it's probably pretty expensive just because of all of the stuff that went into it. I mean, they didn't spend any money on this cast, though. Or acting lessons. I mean, and the the, the CG is bad, though. I'll say sixty. I feel like maybe... right on the money. Oh, for Ooh. real, sixty six zero. That's Damn. our first on the money. Okay, I'll take that. All right, what do you think for box office? Well enough to make five sequels. <laughs> uh, I'll say it made one hundred and five. I was going to go 120 $180 million. God! Yeah, yeah. Enough uh, to make you want to kill yourself. <laughs> a collar pole, but sure. Oh, my goodness. This could be, so far, this is the highest grossing movie of the month. Oh. That's disgusting. Yeah, wow. Wow, wow. I feel like I should take a shower. <laughs> um, anyone uh, feel strongly about Murder by Numbers? I watched this one. Sandra Bullock? Yeah. Um, so it's made by this guy, Barbette Schroeder. I believe he's he's European, but he mostly directs French films. He also famously made a movie called Single White Female, which came out in like the oh. early 90s. It was a really big hit yep. for him. Yep, yep. Uh, so what is this? It's sort of like a... It's, it's two narratives that run side by side. Essentially, it's about two teenagers um, who uh, basically want to kill someone. Um, not for any other reason that As they, they just, do. Yeah, no, literally for not for any other reason that they want to kill somebody. Oh, uh, um, Ryan Gosling and Michael Pitt. Yeah, um, both of whom are, are fucking fantastic in this. Like, uh, they, Michael they, Pitt just looks like a murderer. He really does. Like, I, I always love a Michael Pitt performance. He's mm. so fucking committed, and he's just so sinister in everything he does. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the two of them are basically just supposed to be these disaffected youths growing up. Uh, Kind of, uh, you know, their parents aren't around and they're rich and they got nothing better to do. So they kind of develop these nihilistic attitudes and believe that life has no meaning. And they decide that they do, they want to kill someone and frame it on somebody else just to sort of prove they can do it, I guess, is ostensibly what's going on. I mean, like, rob a 7-Eleven or something. Like, don't go straight to murder. Like, Yeah. That's what Michael Pitt does. That's how he rolls. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Gosling... We're going to go down the Ryan Gosling pit. Which sounds like a very comfortable place to be. Um, after the Mickey Mouse Club, he took like this dark turn in his career where he makes this movie where he's trying to frame someone for a murder he's going to commit. And then also he does this movie, I think it was called The Believer, where he plays like 
this Jewish kid who's also a Nazi, and he's trying to recruit other people into this uh, fascist Nazi movement. Oh. Ooh, it is wild. Anyway, murder by numbers. Like, do they know he's Jewish? Yeah. No one knows, but he does. And he wears, like, the prayer cloth around his waist underneath his Nazi garb. He's super self-hating. I don't want to watch that movie again because it's very unpleasant to watch it. I don't know how well it's going to hold up. I don't think we should bring this Oof. up. I don't want to get Ryan Gosling canceled. I'm editing this out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I think that that's part of it. That's half the narrative. The other half of the narrative is about Sandra Bullock, mm. um, who herself um, is a survivor of, of a traumatic event, kind of like what these boys are, are sort of responsible for doing. Um, but she's also the lead detective trying to crack the case on what really happened here. And admittedly, like the Ryan Gosling and, and Michael Pitt, they do craft a reasonable narrative for what actually played out. Um, so sh- the whole police department, kind of as they uncover the clues, are buying into it. Um, but she the whole time really just thinks these two boys are suspicious and are somehow in on it. But the entire time they've sort of mm. kept it so that it's clearly someone else who did it and not them. She's their Sergeant Dokes. Yeah, so she's the dope. She's the one that knows that something's up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a nice <laughs> Dexter reference. <laughs> um, and motherfucker. Oh, Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> and yeah, and so to that extent, the police procedural part is kind of perfunctory. It's not even really interesting. It's, it's there, but it's not interesting. Like, the whole Dexter side of these two setting up the killing stuff, also not really that interesting. What it actually does well is deal with the idea of codependency. And these two parallel relationships that Sandra Bullock deals with and these boys deal with. Um, and it's hard to describe because, like, I forget what I said in my notes, but it was like, this is a movie that's really sex-obsessed, but this it's so unsexy. And, like, there's very little any sex in it to begin with. It's just all about the psychological manipulation that happens between these people. Um, it's, it's, it's good for that, and the performances are great, but, like, in terms of, like, a... A serial killer thing it's not even really it, it's it has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes and that's probably accurate but I still think that their performances really do elevate it and for that alone it's kind of worth watching it but mm. for what it is as a film it's kind of stupid also I, I the the whole thing is about profiling killers That that's what their whole thing that this police department is doing is trying to profile the killer get into the minds of whoever it was that, that killed this woman and, um, like, all that's bullshit. Now, nowadays, we know that profiling killers is a wasted, stupid effort. Mm. It's only useful when you know who the killer is. <laughs> Once you find out who the killer is and you know for certain, then breaking down their mind and understanding what compelled them to do these things takes shape. You can't just find a dead body and then think, this is why the killer did it. Without, mm. You're just speculating. It's, you might as well be a fortune teller. <laughs> there's no there's no science behind it. It's all bullshit. And yet this movie acts like profile like what they're doing is is right, they're, they're justifiable like these, police work. These inductive and deductive reasoning skills are gonna be able to like point you in the right direction to find exactly the the right person. Yeah. I wouldn't really like profiling is you you just kinda like playing the statistics. Like you found a serial killer, it's probably a, a middle aged white guy. Because that's just the statistics of it. 
Yeah. And, and and if you look at their big board where they're making all of these logical leaps about the personalities of the, the, the who the killer mm. is, and again, they don't even realize it's they're, two people. They think they're it's dressing guy. up in this, and they're, they're staging the kill here. That means it's happening here, and this guy only has nine toes. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, all that's absolute bullshit, so it's hard to get behind any of that. But still, I don't know, interesting enough. Well, you know, it's like the... Uh, the, the the desired outcome is like having like the Sherlock Holmes style. They've he's already got it figured out, and now he's going to like explain to you. And the fun part is going to be like how you saw them draw these conclusions. Anyway, mm-hmm. hundred and twenty minutes. You can watch this movie yeah. for a couple hours. That's really not so bad. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the budget? I think watch your first this time. I I, I can't even. It costs nine pizzas. Throw some out there. Oh, uh, twenty. What do you think, Ryan? Mm, 20's probably pretty close. Uh, 30? 50 million bucks. That's pretty expensive. Whoa. Yeah, that's pricey. You could have made 10 Van Wilders. <laughs> Please tell me that's how we measure movies for now on. Yeah, this costs six Van Wilders. It's ridiculous. easy because it's divisible by five. Yeah. Uh, what do you think for the box office, Wes? Uh, 60. I don't think it did very good. Okay. What do you think, Ryan? Mm, I don't. God, I don't really know. I'll say just be different. 80. 56. Just barely made its money back. Okay. So, no sequel for them. Yeah. Let's go to My Big Fat Greek Wedding. The only one I didn't write notes about. Yeah, I don't think you need to. When I was talking about um, Scorpion King possibly being the biggest movie, I've forgotten that this one came out. Oh, I'm sure this one made a couple hundred million. Yeah, we're we're gonna get to that. I don't think there's anything else. I think this this movie was quite popular, yeah. especially with like the mom crowd. Uh, my mother in particular thought this movie was absolutely hysterical. I must have gone to see it like nine goddamn times. Wow. Um, there's nothing moms love more than expensive weddings. And and uh, people who are being pigeonholed into like a particular behavior based on their race or nationality. Yeah. Directed by uh, Joel Zwick, who's only made four other films, one of which was the Keenan Thompson 2004 Fat Albert. I'm sure that one has aged really well. <laughs> All right. As is anything that involves Bill Cosby. Oh, it aged two, super well. 2004 can't come fast enough for the retro show. <laughs> I can't <laughs> watch Fat Albert. Um, yeah, I... But yeah, what is it supposed to be? I don't even know what it's supposed to be. A about, big right? Greg, it's like they're Is it Ethan Hawke? Who's the dude in it? No, no, no. Is the dude the, from Northern dude, Exposure? Uh, John Corbett? John Corbett. Yeah, so John Corbett is like not Greek, and he's marrying a woman who is Greek, and as I understand, her family is big, and they want to have this giant wedding, and it's this culture clash between yeah. small American family and a Greek family that produced way too many kids. The <laughs> only thing I remember about this movie, and I never actually watched it, it was just like a clip of it, I saw Something about Windex, like, is the cure for everything. I, I yeah, like, like their their topical ointment that they put on any sort of injury. It's Windex. Yeah, you got to cut, spray some Windex. Yeah, it sounds super unsafe. Don't do that. Yeah, it's just, but I also remember it's like the prequel po- to the Tide Pods. It's like the Pokemon <laughs> logic, where the potion heals less than a bottle of water. Mm, it's true. Here's a repel. It's my pee. <laughs> I did get a sequel. Anyway, we won't get into that. Um, okay, you can get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> you can suffer through 94 minutes of this movie. Joey Fatone's in it from NSYNC. Well, that's true. Joey Fat one is in it. Budget, what do you think? Uh, Ryan, you're first this time. Budget. What do you think this movie costs oh, to I, make? I don't, I don't think all that much. I don't know. I don't really know much. Uh, 40 million? Oh, what do you think? 40. I'll go 
45. It cost A. Van Wilder 5 million bucks. What? What do you think this movie made on its 5 million dollar budget? My tone is giving it away. Holy Holy fucking shit. Ryan, you're first. Shit. I I mean, I would have said at least 200. I'll I'll clock in at 230. What do you think, Wes? 210. $368 motherfucking dollars for this garbage. Holy shit. We were way off on everything about this movie. Holy shit. I mean, I I would say the fact that it made over 200. I mean, I feel like there's a certain elasticity to the guess. Yeah. If something Mm -hmm. you know is cheap and you're like, oh, that cost $25 million and it's $2 million, that's different than being like something made. 150 and it's like oh no it made 250 it's like uh, there's an order of magnitude greater Goddamn, i'm surprised it took them till 2016 to to make a sequel yeah oh my god you think they would just immediately just went right back to it yeah. just <laughs> oh and there was a that's uh, a wrap we're gonna start scene one there, there was a, a third <laughs> movie in oh there oh, god damn it there's a third movie coming in september of this year Jeez. oh no anyway so there's the biggest movie of the month, but we still got a couple more to go through here. Space but Station, not the best box office return. Go on, really? So that would be Space Station. What we're about to talk about return on okay. investment. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is, I think it's only like 40 minutes long or 45 minutes. This was filmed for IMAX when IMAX was a really big deal. I remember the Science Center actually had this one. Um, so Space Station, the Orlando Science Center. Yes, the you know that we grew up. In, so um, it's interesting too because. Um, Oh, who's that manu- Who's that weapons manufacturer? That Lockheed Martin? Yeah. There's actually a title credits for Lockheed Martin. Because <laughs> they were major producers of the International Space Station. It was the mm. weirdest thing when I started watching this movie. to okay. see bump for that. But no, it's basically just a bunch of HD footage um, filmed on the ISS, documenting a crew that's traveling up there. Um, and it's all narrated by Tom Cruise. Um, it's really really cool and beautiful it's you know I, I think that we don't frankly care enough about science to like just actually look at this shit I think it's one of those things where it's it's like if you were to watch the footage you would be wowed by you know the fact that there's this you know little caravan little caravan up in space that these people are on but not really um, it's fiction yeah it's not real but you know yeah. it's cool that it could have been <laughs> <laughs> what if the planet was round wouldn't that be wild I <laughs> know uh, no, it's a flat surface. With, but, right, uh, it's a disc. Yes, surrounded by round, we just fall right off of it. We need, yeah, it's ludicrous, John. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what were we saying? Oh yeah, well, by return on investment, you mean like what it made proportional to what it cost? Yeah. What did uh, it cost? Uh, well, so uh, yeah, so the budget for this is is listed as a million dollars. Okay. The box office return is one hundred and twenty-seven million dollars. Okay, so yeah, That's it really made 127 impressive. times yeah. what it cost. 127 times what it made. Well, what's 5 million opposed to 370 to kind of make it easy? No, it's 60%. Hmm. Like, if you had $5 million investment, so it would be 5 times 127 all right, all right. would get you 635. Yeah, so yeah, a little so bit more if, than half. If, if, yeah, if my great, Big Fat Great Wedding made 635 million, it would be. The same return on investment as, yeah, space station. Yeah, because my big fat Greek wedding, even though it cost only five million bucks, it costs five times more. And a million dollars sounds like a placeholder. 
Yeah. You know, it probably didn't cost that much, but they weren't going to calculate something smaller. Yeah, they, they just gave the camera, they just gave some ca- cameras that were already on the ISS, and then they gave these crew... <laughs> they just, like, flung VHS tape back down cameras, there. cameras, and they just, like, film some shit, bring it back here, and they, I'm sure they got some guy to edit stuff, and they're like, ah, pencil in a million. It cost them 400000 somebody pocketed six hundred. <laughs> but it's beautiful, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's probably something that I think people don't look at enough, and it's worth taking a peek at it in its HD glory. Well, let's talk about something else that's beautiful and wonderful to look at. Jason X. Jason X. Oh, my goodness. I watched it. Me too. Oh, my goodness. I've seen this once years ago, but I remember just something about somebody getting sucked out one of the holes in the wall. Which will happen in space. That's yeah, just that's something that happens. guaranteed. That's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that happens in, like, Alien Resurrection. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, a no. You thing. see just the alien space before it goes right. It's impressive. I mean, th- this movie does sort of ape a lot of things from the Alien franchise. Yeah, Alien, oh. Aliens specifically. Directed by a guy named Jim Isaac, mm-hmm. who his director credits are not impressive, but his SF or like special effects director credits really are. He was a director of special effects on Return of the Jedi. He was also in Gremlins. Like mm. he knows his way around that component of filmmaking. I mean, oh, I don't know what he brings to the table here, though. It's just he's, he has a director's credit now. Good for him. He did a yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually kind of enjoyed this movie. Um, what, did you like it? What, what, what's your temperature on it? I think it was uh, it was silly, schlocky, campy fun, which yeah. isn't all that different from uh, you know, other Jason movies. I think they they uh, even though it doesn't take place at a camp with these sort of uh, uh, rowdy, sex obsessed uh, teenagers, camp counselors or vacationers there. Um, they, they do manage to work students into the plot somehow for is, like all, all the raunchy stuff that needs to happen in these movies. Yeah, um, yeah but you, you were saying earlier that it's a, in, in a way this feels, does feel like a parody of the mm. Alien films, Predator 2, and in a lot of ways this is, is ripping off the premise of Demolition Man. Sure. Which came yeah. out in, I think, 92? Right, so, so the, the general setup is, well, of course... Um, this has to take place like after Jason goes to hell or something. I don't know, but it is like sort of continuing this this storyline. It is obviously the tenth installment, mm-hmm. Jason X, and uh, they, they sort of like set him up. And I don't know how early in the Jason French or the the Friday the Thirteenth. No, wait. What's the franchise? Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. God damn it. Yeah, there's Halloween, um, which is the Mike Myers show. Nightmare on Elm Street. That's Freddy Krueger. Anyway, Friday the 13th, they, I don't know how early in the franchise they set up Jason to have like these sort of regenerative Wolverine powers. Yeah. But he does in this one, which is why he survived so much stuff. They're like, oh, now we have to send him off so we can science him and find out how to use his powers and the, the, the one doctor the one person who has any sort of sense is like no we need to put him in cryostasis and of course you know what's coming we as need to shoot him into the fucking sun as soon as someone <laughs> as soon as someone says cryostasis you know like oh they're going to the future um yeah. you, you know what I like about like future movies is like especially ones made before we are now because we're living in the future now mm-hmm. um hear them talk, talking about what they thought the 21st century was going to be like and how it was going to play out. And one of the things they mentioned in this movie was like hockey was banned in 2024. <laughs> so enjoy your last year of hockey, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like they, when, they, when they find Jason, they, of course the, the, the people come back down to Earth. Earth is like a death, desolate wasteland. And there are people who are like archaeologists and scavengers. They're going to Earth to find these relics of the past. Oh, and it's supposed to be 24. I think if I remember the year correctly, it was 2455. Yeah. 
Is that, yeah, when, that sounds like, about right. The, supposed to be when he comes out of freeze. Right, with with the doctor. With sort of the, one, yeah, the one doctor that's like, can we just get rid of this motherfucker? Because he's got the world's sharpest machete <laughs> and he pokes through the fucking cryostasis spot and the cryo gas gets everywhere and she's locked in there with him. And then when, by the time she wakes up, everyone she knows is dead. She handles it really fucking well. Um, <laughs> and what's funny is for him having these regenerative powers, so do they. They have Bacta tanks, essentially, like the Star Wars Bacta tanks that uh, automatically heal and restore you. Yeah, a dude gets his arm chopped off and he's like, oh man, my arm, what a bummer. Yeah. And then like they put him back on, like they sew it back on with their like their little nanobot goo. Yeah. It's kinda <laughs> the, the, the movie the movie, like th- this isn't serious. Like they're not they're yeah. not playing this, like you're not supposed to buy it. They're everything. going for it they're going for an Oscar here, guys. Any anytime like this something something happens, like there's like a obvious plot device that's okay, well that's gonna fix this and uh, you do get to, to the point in the end where uh, they they it's it's on like the the poster where you have like the Jason the old hockey mask and then you get him like a futuristic metal mask and by the end you get the CG Jason who's been like futurified now has red eyes and a, a shiny chrome hockey mask. Oh, because the nanobots get to him. Because the nanobots a, a get him. A series of absurd events. Uh, they they tried to like. Um, do the whole uh, uh, Event Horizon thing where they separate the ship by blowing up the thing in the middle. Yeah. But now he, he's able to survive the, the depths of space mm-hmm. and get him. He keeps on coming back for more because he just loves murdering so much. <laughs> oh, there's so many absurd sequences like the uh, the robot woman <laughs> who like ninja kicks him and shit. Yeah, she, 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 gets, she gets her upgrade and like becomes like yeah. this weapons master. She's just, like the android of the ship which of course, you know, you gotta have one. Because it's, you know, it's you, the future. You, yeah, you, you have your your artificial person, like you have Ash and Bishop. Yeah, you gotta have one on every ship. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, it's so it, it is so cliche because you also have like the group of students, but then you also have like the Marines. It's like they double dipped and also had the Marines well, there you, too. You, you get the students, you get the Marines. <laughs> yeah. I don't, they're they're all just a bunch of incompetent. Yeah, you, you run up the body count. Yeah. Ah, uh, but you know. I watched it and I had a good time while I was watching it. It was dumb fun. It, it really is dumb fun. Yeah, and it, it's kind of nice. Like I didn't watch the ninth installment, so I don't really know. But it is. It had to that point when this came out. It had been nine years hmm. since they had made a Friday Thirteenth film, which is like by far the longest stretch in time from when they had made them. When and was the last one made? Like ninety three, I want to say. If I remember, if I remember looking this up correctly, um, so. And after this, like, I, I, I vaguely remember the box office numbers, only that both of the numbers are, like, well below 50. Like, this movie barely cost anything and it barely made anything. Um, but the next one that they're going to make is that Freddy vs. Jason crossover, which I oh, think right. is just a few years down the road from here. Mm. And that's going to make, like, a couple hundred million. That one's going to do really, really well, and it'll sort of revitalize the franchise. I guess people weren't ready for horror in space. No. I don't know. It's it's a whalers on the moon. Um, Where's that movie? Futurama is a show. Yeah, I know, but still, I would watch a movie about whalers on the moon. We're gonna make it. (laughs) We're gonna get a pitch together. Um, Oh, and right now there are no. The series is sort of dormant currently. There have been some spec scripts thrown around that have gone nowhere, Um, and supposedly there is actually a TV show that might be produced. They might actually be making kind of a episodic series. Oh, interesting. Uh, I would assume it's a reboot. I mean, I don't think they're going to pick up. On How do we work Wet Hot American Summer into the Jason franchise? Do we want him to kill all those people? 
No, but they can treat it with the seriousness it deserves. <laughs> I mean, there is like a was it Dale and Tucker versus Evil? Oh like, yeah, it could be sort of a slapstick gore kind Another of. Another one. Yeah, that was kind of a comedy of errors. Yeah, <laughs> I swear. Were they just left? the vehicle and just walked up to the wall to stare at it. <laughs> um, God, that movie is so good. So, 92 minutes. You can stream this one on Amazon Prime if you are so inclined. It's a Morbius. Yeah, it's a Morbius. Uh, what do you think it cost? Wes, you're first. Well, you said really bad. Really low and bad. I'm going to go... It's like CGI shit. Wait a vamp. 25. I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? I'll say 10. Uh, I would have accepted either 11 or 14 because Wikipedia is not sure either. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's somewhere between 11 and 14 million bucks. Apparently somebody lost the books. Yeah. Uh, what do you think it made, Wes? 20. I don't think it made much money. 15? 17. You guys kind of split the uprights on that one. There you go. Um, yeah. Apparently nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody cared about that's this movie. That's a real shame, huh? Hmm. I think we're I think we're done. We've been for a long time here, but when you break it all down, this was not a great month. Yeah, not particularly great. Do we have a two thousand two? We we did not have a death death to Smoochie. I think Frailty. Frailty is a genuinely great movie, and actually, I think Bend It Like Beckham was also good. I I just think it's going to be weird looking back at the end of the year and saying that one of the twelve best films is Bend It Like Beckham. Well, that's only for like going like picking the The best best film of each month. Yeah, because if like. like we talked about last month, in March we had both Death to Smoochie and Panic Room, which are... I know, those are fucking amazing. Yeah. I would so, say go back. It, whatever one you, we said last month that didn't win is this month's. Yeah, last month we gave it to Death to Smoochie. So, so Panic Room. Yeah. Go, watch, go watch Panic Room, or if you absolutely have to, yeah, I would say Frailty. So, next up's the official show. Yep, we got a lot to get to. Mm-hmm. Advance Wars is out, fellas, and actually, it 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 came to be a day early, and I guess it's sort of a misnomer because it's a year late. Um, <laughs> so it's three hundred sixty-four days late, <laughs> right? But uh, Amazon, they must have heard us talking about. It. Jeff must have heard us talking about. I'm talking shit because he keeps on sending my games late. But uh, Advance Wars actually arrived today, and it comes out tomorrow. What if the pressing plant just put in the wrong gear and they're like, once it's in the system, it's in the system. Well, maybe. You know, we can't. We penciled in 2023 by mistake. Sorry. <laughs> we have to delay it now. We can't fix this. Um, but I, I don't know if you guys uh, participate in like the, the rewards thing, but you know, when you when you purchase something on the, the eShop, they give you like these reward coins and you can use mm-hmm. those. They basically like, convert to cash. It's like 100 coins is worth a dollar. Um, and if you buy a game physically, it's usually just worth like a flat 60 coins um, as opposed to like getting the, the actual dollar amount. Um, but I tried to like redeem the coins for this game and it gave me an error message. Like, no, no, you can't. It's it's past the expired date. It's like as if like it was too late to redeem the coins, but I think it's confused. I think like they're not letting me redeem it because technically the game's not out yet. I'll find out tomorrow. I'll keep you posted. This is... I'm sure everyone's <laughs> fucking interested. I get my fucking sixty coins for this shit. Uh, oh, and we're gonna talk about Fatal Frame too because I started Fatal Frame. Very nice. Have you started up yours? I have not. No. Uh, I, I have, like. I have it. two unopened games at home right now. I need to get to. Is the other one Metroid Dread? Uh, three unopened. <laughs> <laughs> the other is Metroid Prime. Oh, nice. but also Metroid Dread. Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm really behind. A I couple did really, start that one. Really great Metroid games. Both, both of those are really, really good. Um. 
we'll talk about that one. It's uh, it, it's quite different. We'll maybe get into like the specifics uh, on the show. Uh, it, it's quite different in terms of uh, how it's structured, as opposed to uh, Maiden of Blackwater, which is its sequel. But yeah, and then we'll start it up with the Pokemon show in May. Nice. That's it. End of podcast. So long. Bye bye.